Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. It's a high fly ball into deep left. Gone! I love it when he comes up with a runner on. You know, sometimes that's the difference. You get in those clutch two-out knocks against tough pitchers, is sometimes that's sometimes the difference in the game. We've been doing that the last couple of days. Out to left. It's well hit. It's gone! On a 2-2. And Mundo Sosa. A fist pump. A smile. And a three-run St. Louis lead. The 0-1. Fly ball. Deep left. Carlson. He got it! Dylan Carlson with the catch. Crashing up against the wall and saving the game. The Cardinals win it. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. that felt like the biggest win of the season to me. Now, was it actually the biggest win of the season? Yes. I think so. Name I me really a, do. Name me a bigger win. The only one that felt like that to me. And by the way, all of that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson. And I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2 right here on yeah! World Wide ESPN. Woo! The only one that I would say compared was Cardinals versus Dodgers. It was June the 1st in L.A., and if you remember, it was that big catch by Tyler O'Neill in left field. Similar vibe to it. They escape by their chinny the, chin chin. Come on, man. You got to be quicker than that. Name that movie. <laughs> no, Never heard of it. They no, scored one run in the top of the ninth to be able to come away with that victory. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that was either the day before or the day after um, they had just lost. Yeah, that was the day after they had lost um, Jack Flaherty to injury. So that one felt really big, too. This one, I think, was even bigger, given what it's coming off of. This one was bigger because at the time that you beat the Dodgers, the Dodgers were still a struggling team. Dodgers just got Cody Bellinger back. They were without Corey Seager still. Their pitching really had not caught up to what they did the year prior. You just beat a team who has been the best team in the National League all season. A team that won a series against the Diamondbacks, which isn't that difficult. We all know that. Well, they lost. They, no, they are not good. They lost two to the Dodgers, but they won a series against the Athletics. They beat the Angels. They beat the Phillies. This was a team that was winning. And you were a team 
that was borderline embarrassing losing because of all of the games that you dropped. And you just came out and did this in two games. You won a series two straight. You battled adversity in this one because multiple times it felt like this one was going to be a loss. The Giants kept coming back. They kept coming back. But the Cardinals kept responding with offense. This, in my opinion, was the biggest win of the season. I think it was the biggest one of the season because, as you mentioned, you're going against the best team in the National League. You go into that game, and you are, you stole the first game, in my opinion. You stole it. You got a great outing from KK. You're being no hit for, I think it was six and a third's innings pitched. And, and then an you Orioles come into pitcher. this game. By the way, wore the Orioles shirt today. Oh, my God. He really put a Baltimore Orioles shirt. That's right. They can develop pitching. Yikes. Anyways. Yikes. I lost my that's train of thought. The, that's oh, the point. Biggest win of the year because – you go into that game with your best pitcher, and he didn't have his best up, and Wayno even admits that. And then the offense comes up and gives you six runs of support, and you don't have two of the big three in the pin, and the bullpen, you know, it wasn't clean, but it got the job done. And it comes down to some great defense there at the end with the Carlson catch. This is going to feel like one of those series that we're going to look back on, and if this team makes the playoffs, to me, this will be the series we'll look back on and say that's where the tables turn. Now, granted, you cannot lose momentum heading into Chicago for the weekend. You could lose tonight, and I'd feel okay about it. Now, I, now, I would that. obviously prefer that not happen. If you get a clean sweep of the San Francisco Giants in San Francisco, that's massive. But I, you just can't let it. You can't lose two out of three then in Chicago, and then you completely deflate the balloon again going into the all-star break. Like, if you, if you lose tonight, you win on Friday in game one, and then you lose the final two of that series in Chicago. Yeah, that's going to feel pretty ugly. You can't lose to Chicago, plain and simple. You got to win that series. If you if you lose to Chicago, I'm going to jump right back off of this Cardinals bandwagon here because I'm finally starting to buy in after these two wins because this is the progress that I'm talking about. But if you go lose to a team that basically David Kaplan every night is talking about how this team is blanked and they're going to be terrible for the rest of the season, if you go lose the series of the Cubs, none of this was for anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. There it is. I'm one of it's one of many times that this station will point to a certain win as the turning point for this team. That's right, text line. Do they call be... us puppets. And it just never happens. Good job, puppets. Well, here, I, I'll answer this one Ding! as quote unquote puppets. Hey, if we don't point to one of them, then we can never be uh right. And also, there haven't been a whole lot of other opportunities for us to do this. Nope, not <laughs> as Basically since mid-May, really, you know what? You can go back even further. (laughs) Spring training. Uh, That doesn't matter. Never mind. The the people that kept calling me negative. Now they're all calling me negative again. The last time that we pointed to anything and we were like, you know, this might be where the season really gets going. The Dodgers, I think, was the Brewer series in mid-May. Remember when you think the Dodgers when they beat the Dodgers? I mean, the next day they got destroyed. Yeah, but we pointed to the game against the Dodgers and we're like, all right, there you go. That was the the second one. You had just lost Jack Flaherty in game one. So it didn't feel like there was a run coming after that. I think the last time that we really felt this way was May 13th. So that was about two months ago. After the the whole lineup return? Basically, and the Cardinals had just taken two of three against Milwaukee. And I remember that that month or that that week it was hey is this the week that the cardinals can kind of impose their will on the national league because it was three against milwaukee three against san diego we asked katie Wu, is this a statement week and she said yes one of either milwaukee san diego or st louis is going to be able to kind of make their imprint that they are one of the biggest competitors with the dodgers this season 
Obviously, it didn't go that way because the Cardinals got their ass kicked in San Diego. But it felt coming off of that Brewer series as if that was going to be the turning point. We haven't said that since then. This might be. I don't know if it will be, but if there's ever a series that feels like it has the potential to be a turning point in a season, it's this one, boys. They have pitched well. The defense sucked last night, but I'm going to blame that on the wind more than the defense because the defense has been good basically all year long. Their hitting was even good yesterday. The offense looked consistent. Nolan Arenado looked like himself. Paul Goldschmidt, maybe he just needed to go to the West Coast to get back on track. This offense looks pretty good right now. So whatever it is, I don't know what the turning point was, but this feels like it has the potential to get them back on their winning ways. And it really feels like it's one of those things where the stars have aligned now because for the last nine, 10 games, the pitching has been great. The offense just is not supporting them. They're losing games two to nothing or three to one. There's no offense. You're finally getting the offense back to what you were hoping it was going to be. And that was without Tyler O'Neill in the lineup last night. So hopefully if the pitching can keep doing what they're doing, the offense performing this way, if you match those two things together, you can go on a little bit of a run here. And we've already talked about it. A second half team. It's hard to buy into that, but you can't beat the numbers for that either. This to me is the jumping off point, but you have to follow it up. It's the same thing you always say. If you win a game, you got to keep it going. You can't just turn into, oh, well, we won that series and then you're out of it again because then it's just repetition. So Adam Wainwright was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and we have a couple of texts that I would like to respond to. Uh, This one comes from the 314. Guys, didn't you say that losing to Detroit, Pittsburgh, and Colorado would be the turning point in a bad way? You keep pivoting and pivoting on where the Cardinals are. I did. We did. The Cardinals did, and it didn't go their way. And Adam Wainwright responded to why that was such a significant win last night earlier today on Care Currents Moment. Starting to get there, and you know, sometimes it takes a couple smacks in the face to wake you up. And we got smacked a couple times by people who didn't need to be smacking us, and uh, that woke us up. You know, when we lose three out of four to Pittsburgh, and we lose three out of four to the Rockies, uh, that's a that's a couple of trips where you really feel like you you let an opportunity slip there. So. Um, We need to be better than that. We're going to be better than that, and it's time to start doing it. They know. Like, that's the thing. The Cardinals know. It's not like we're saying something that they're unaware of. They know what Pittsburgh's done this year. They know what Detroit's done this year, what they haven't done, frankly. And they know what Colorado is and what they are not. And they know they should be better than all three of those teams. And they weren't. Over the course of the last two weeks, they got their butt whipped against all three of those teams. And so they had to be better. And right now, they have been. Over the last two games, it is an incredibly small sample size. But Alex, this is all we have to work with right now. And for this team in this division, if you can get things going all right for about two to three weeks, you can do what the Brewers just did. The Brewers went on basically a three-week-long nice run against bad teams, and that's how they've built their lead. The Cardinals can do the exact same thing. Yeah, look, and let's let's be really clear about something, 314. We're not pivoting anywhere. We're not turning and saying, oh, well, the Cardinals are going to be World Series champs now. Oh, we're not? No. It, well, you might be. This was progress, right? Yeah. Like, it, I've, I've said this all along since you lost to the Tigers and the Pirates. I'm like, you got to show me that you're capable of something. You just beat the San Francisco Giants. Great. I'm starting to believe a little bit more. But you have to follow it up because if you drop two of three against the Cubs or three of four against the Cubs, well, then it doesn't matter. Then the win against the Giants doesn't matter because you just lost to a team that team was underperforming. You have to build off of it. It's winning series. Clint Hurdle said it all the time. 
you got to win series. That's how you're going to get into the playoffs. That's how you're going to be successful. You've won this one. Now let's move on to the next one against the Cubs. There's no pivoting. We're just building off of what the Cardinals are doing. It's 11 16. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to continue with our Blues icebreaker questions. And this one, I think, is maybe the single most important question of the offseason for the Blues. We'll get to that in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, one of the reasons why games like last night are so, so significant right now, Alex, is because of what they do to the front office. They put some more pressure on them to go out and add. There is one player in particular that just became available that I think might be an interesting one for him. We'll talk about about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. can learn a thing or two from the Giants and what I mean by that is the Giants are super aggressive by utilizing their splits if you noticed last night Alex once Wayno came out of the game and you had Andrew Miller come in it was like a line shift for the Giants in terms of who was in that game they go from all of their lefties to all of their righties immediately and they did the same thing the day prior against KK And this is a smart strategy, and we've talked about it before, the idea that the Cardinals could utilize platoons more often than they do. The problem is the Cardinals don't really have the personnel to do it. Oh, what are you talking about? They got Jose Rondon. Yeah, again, the Cardinals don't really have the personnel to do what the Giants do. And if you look at some of the splits for the Giants, they've got a lot of guys that are really good against either righties or lefties and not so many guys that are good against both of them. So they're smart in the way that they're utilizing these players. However, there is somebody that just became available that could be of interest for the Cardinals that could help them do something like this, guys. Ken Griffey Jr. is coming out of retirement? No. Nope. My God, that would be incredible. The Chicago White Sox has, have designated Adam Eaton for assignment. Now, Adam Eaton five years ago was a great player. Adam Eaton today is not a great player, and I'm not going to pretend that he is. But he's a perfectly adequate guy. He's a lefty bat that can come in and he hits righties well. Hey, there happens to be a need on this team for a lefty bat that can hit righties well, especially one that can play in the outfield. No, Justin Williams is awesome. Well, he's he's not available. Um, Tony La Russa, one thing that could be a little bit of a holdup here. Tony La Russa said there weren't going to be enough play. There wasn't going to be enough playing time for Adam Eaton. And that is why the organization decided to DFA him. If he's just looking for playing time, the Cardinals will not be the team that he decides to go well, to. He'll, I hate to he'll break, go to a non-contender. Well, and I hate to break it to you, Adam, but I don't really know if there's going to be non-contenders that are going to let a 32-year-old who has played a total of 99 games in the last two seasons. Unless he wants to go to like the Pirates after they make some trades. Maybe he's going to wait for one of these non-contenders to make a trade where they deal out one of their outfielders and he goes, goes and plays for the Rangers after they trade um, Joey Gallo. Maybe that's what he decides to do. But... If he just wants to play a little bit and he's fine with being a bench bat, guys, this is the perfect type of player for the Cardinals to go out there and acquire. If they don't at least check in on this, which I would imagine the Cardinals will do their due diligence, but if they don't, I don't know what we're doing here. Because what we have talked about the last few weeks, what we talked with Katie Wu about yesterday, is acquiring a bench bat. Mm -hmm. Finding somebody who can help your bench. 
And the biggest hole I think that you need for help on your bench is an outfielder because Tommy Edmond needs to stop playing the outfield. He needs to be your everyday second baseman. Right now, Edmundo Sosa needs to be your everyday shortstop, and Paul DeYoung can fill in off of the bench. You need somebody who can play got an outfield. Got a different spot. idea for that, but okay, we've got, that's fine. We can talk about that. You need an outfielder though, because Tyler O'Neill has had injuries this season. Harrison Bader has had injuries this season, and you always need yourself a fourth outfielder. And right now, your fourth outfield options really aren't that great. It's Tommy Edmond. But that's it. Yep. And then you go into the minors. I mean, Justin Williams is in witness protection, so we don't know where he is right now. Uh, Scott Hurst really didn't work out that well for By the, the way, Cardinals. Scott Hurst, I was looking at their what box score last Jimmy night. What happened to Jimmy Dean? Is he, is he gone? Jimmy Dean makes sausages. He's not coming up here, <laughs> yeah. is he? Our guy Jimmy Dean down in Austin AAA. Austin Dean is still hurt. The He's Dean been hurt for like three months. Dean and Aider's got the same injury that Andrew Miller had. Just go out for a little bit and oh, let's forget Forrester. about you. And then you got Lars Newpar, who looked great. But frankly, for me, I'd rather have Newpar be playing every day down in Memphis. Well, totally and, agree. And let's not pretend Scott Hurst is a fourth outfielder. The dude's hitting below 200 yeah. in AAA yeah. so far. Adam Eaton is good defensively. Adam Eaton, when healthy, is good on the base path because he provides speed. He can hit at the top of your order. He can hit at the bottom of the order. And frankly, he's a decent bat to have off of the bench. So this is a guy, in my opinion, that you need to go out and sign. And I figured I'd get this text. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, he's hitting just 210 against right-handed pitching this year. Absolutely. But he has a 700 OPS in those situations. So he has been below average against right-handed pitching this year. But his history is that he's really good against right-handed pitching. Last year, 770 OPS. The year before that, 800. The year before that, 850. He, over the course of his career, has shown he hits righties very well. He just hasn't been that same guy so far this season. Will that continue because he's getting older and he's just lost it? Maybe. But what are your options right now? He's an upgrade on your roster. He is better than Rondon. And that's what you're trying to do. It's these incremental upgrades that the Cardinals are making right now on their roster. We've seen that in their bullpen, and we saw the results last night. Justin Miller is better than their other options that they would have had available in that spot last night. And it helps you win a game because you had him. Maybe there will be a game, whether it be later this week or in the second half, where you got a lefty or you got a right-handed pitcher on the mound. You've got the pitcher spot coming up. You've already used Matt Carpenter. And now you've got Adam Eaton coming off of the bench, and he provides a big swing of the bat that helps you win that baseball game. That's the kind of thing this team is missing right this now. This is what John Moselak and company need to do, though, because they've already expressed the high ask on the trade market. And if you're going to add in areas, because you're not looking for everyday players, unless you're looking at a shortstop or a starting pitcher, you're not looking for everyday players. You're looking for bullpen help who can throw some innings which they've gotten in Bladell and Miller and LeBlanc. That's right. I said Bladell. That's where I'm going with it. It's fine. And then you get that in Adam Eaton. This is how you need to uh, attack the month of July before the trade deadline. Go out there and get yourself some pieces that the roster can help that have been DFA'd or still free agents. I saw somebody text in that said D Gordon is still sure. available. There's another option. Scour. Yeah, he th- just opted out of his contract on yesterday. Scour the market for these guys to upgrade your bench, scour the market for arms who can help your bullpen, and then address the one big need that you need at the trade deadline. If you don't get it, that's fine. Then you wait for Jack Flaherty and Miles Michaelis, and you stick to the course. So the other reason why I think a guy a guy like Eaton is so interesting for the Cardinals is because I was scouring the bad teams yet last night. I, I went through because we talked with <laughs> Katie. A lot Wu. of them. Yeah, I talked with Katie Wu yesterday, and she said she thinks the best option for the Cardinals is a bench bat. And I tend to agree with her. That's going to be the easiest position to acquire. It's going to cost you the less and least. That seems like what the Cardinals are looking for is low cost acquisitions. Guys, there are not a whole lot of good options out there. 
the guys that you could trade for are pretty similar to Adam Eaton, D. Strange, Gordon. That's kind of the level of uh, player that could be available. Josh Reddick is one that I saw. He's been very good against right-handed pitching for the Diamondbacks. He's got a 295 batting average against them this year. Maybe that's somebody you look at. Um, but that's before I go to the trade. I, I mean, I'm going to look at guys who can be, I mean, you can't tell me that giving D Gordon and Adam Eaton a shot doesn't make your bench better Absolutely. than having insert name here. Because frankly, after Matt Carpenter, I don't really know who the bench bat options are for you. And it's Rondon. He, he's basically the only guy that they have right now coming yeah, off. That of has their not bench. worked out for uh, Miguel Rojas is a guy that maybe you could bring in. He's been pretty good for the Marlins. Adam Duvall, we've talked a ton about him. He's been great against right-handed pitching. Uh, he's got some reverse splits. Uh, ben Gamble is an interesting player for the Pirates. He's been bad for basically his entire career, but this year he's been good against right-handed pitching. And then Joey Gallo is the big-time player, uh, the big bat that everybody's going to be looking at as we get closer to the deadline. But I would imagine that means he's going to be a little bit more cost-prohibitive. He's going to take more in terms of the prospects that you have to give up. The reason why I bring this up is because Josh Reddick, Ben Gamble, these are kind of the same players that we're talking about right now with Adam Eaton. They're not significantly better than what Eaton should bring to the table. So if you can get one for free when it comes to the prospects you have to give up and the other guys you have to give up prospects, at least for the next three weeks, I'd go give Adam Eaton a shot. I think he's a better opportunity for this team. I agree 100%. And I mean, I know people want Joey Gallo. And yeah, Joey Gallo would be awesome. But where's Joey Gallo playing this season? Because I, as much as people play against right-handed pitching. I get it. But as much me. as people want to say, but I mean, we saw the, the evidence last night of Harrison Bader needing to be in this lineup. And when Tyler O'Neill's healthy, he's going to play. When Dylan Carlson's healthy, he's obviously playing. You're not getting Joey Gallo to be a split hitter for you. You're getting Joey Gallo. The cost that it's going to get or need to get Joey Gallo isn't going to be a split hitter. So I'd rather just go spend $900,000 or whatever it's going to cost to sign Adam Eaton, who's been DFA'd, put him on my bench and say, okay, fight for your opportunity to play. Yeah, I think this makes a ton of sense. Whether it be Eaton, D. Strange, Gordon, I think you've got a few options out there right now. And then maybe on top of those, if they don't end up working out, Maybe that's when you start looking more at the trade market, but similar to what they've done in the bullpen, I think you could start looking at some of these bench bats that are available right now on the free agent market. They've done a good job of bolstering the bullpen with these additions. They need to do the same thing for that. Go bench. get someone from Baltimore. Okay, well, they don't have anybody. Zip up your jacket. I'm sick of looking at that orange. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, we continue our Blues icebreaker questions with this. Can the Blues find a way to get back to their identity in 2021? That was the single biggest issue, in my opinion, for the team this year, maybe even more so than the injuries. How do they get back to the way they want to play under Craig Brewer? We will talk about it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Icebreaker question for the offseason. Can the Blues stick to their identity? That's the question for today. Because last season, Alex, I don't know how many times I said to you, man, this team just lacks an identity. It became a recurring theme throughout the season. Yeah, and it was uh, really annoying. You just kept repeating yourself. I'm like, dude, we get it already. Jeez. Our text line felt the same way that you did. They let me know every time that I would bring it up. So this year, hopefully they can prevent me from having to ask the question because it became an issue because you had guys like Tory Krug and Vince Dunn and Hoffman, all of whom didn't really fit with what the Blues were doing previously in their identity. And that doesn't mean they can't be a part of the team. 
just means they were such a significant role on the team last year that it almost felt kind of out of place at times. So my question to you, Alex, as our resident blues insider, our blues expert, pre-post and intermission host on the blues broadcast. Keep it going. Any more? Come on. One time voice of the blues. Yeah, that's you true. did that too. It's fine. Called Costin's first career NHL You're goal. Damn right I did, T Bone. If I'm not mistaken, called the alumni game. You're damn right I did. And that's Alex that Ferrario. Gets to be on BK and Company. That's right. And, he is Yeah, that's true too. He is blessed to be a part of the show. I am blessed. How do they get back to that, man? This is the biggest question of the offseason, in my opinion. Right up there with the top left wing, and I think they coincide with each other because you need to get a guy who could play on the top line that brings this identity. I think the start of this has to be a conversation between Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube, because I, I do think that there was a little bit of mixed messaging on both sides of the offseason moves from Doug Armstrong of going to get Tory Krug and signing Mike Hoffman. And, you know, the op or the decisions of not getting Petrangelo back a couple of years ago, moving on from Maroon and Edmondson. There has to be a sit down and Doug Armstrong addressed this at the end of the season with his kind of offseason media session. He said, we need to know what Baruby wants, and Baruby needs to know what I want. When you get back on the same page, I would imagine Craig Baruby's going to say, look, speed is great. We need speed, but we need more guys who bang the body around. That's the only way you're going to have success. They have the pieces to do this. I mean, look, without Oscar Sundquist last season, that took a massive blow to this team to not have him because he is kind of the little engine that could on the ice. He gets everyone else banging bodies, too. Ivan Barbashev provides that word. What are you guys laughing about? You got to bang bodies around if you want to go out there and you just win some the, hockey just games. The way that you said that. Well, yeah, I don't know what's so funny about that. You got the two guys who like to bang the bodies on the fourth line. I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know if we were still talking about on. hockey. You or get not. those two guys out there. Perron is kind of the guy who leads by example in the top line. Braden Shen does this as well. There's a couple of pieces, though, that you're missing. You're missing a guy like Pat Maroon, who did that on the third line. You're missing a guy who. In, in so many ways in the cup run was like Vladimir Tarasenko. And what I mean by that is Vladdy finally bought into the Craig Berube style of going out there for checking, being a power forward, but utilizing your offensive skill set and being able to shoot the puck. They're missing that. They have the elements, but it's going to take guys who can step up. And I think it all starts with the offseason decisions from Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube. Physicality still wins games. We're seeing that with the Tampa Bay Lightning and their success against the Montreal Canadiens. You got to get back to it. I feel like right now, forward wise, you have seven guys that I feel like you can write in pin that'll be in there in some capacity next year. O'Reilly, Perron, Shin, Kairou, Thomas. We'll see. But I feel good if he's on the roster, he'll definitely be in the lineup. Sonny and Barbashev. And Those Ovechkin. seven fit into what the Blues want to do. They've been a part of this when it's been going right. And then it's really a matter of who are the other five guys? And who is that going to be? Are there internal options? Are they coming from the outside in? A lot of those guys are going to have to be on the left-hand side, man. And this is why we've talked so much about the top two left wingers, because that's really where this identity has been lacking. Who's going to the net for O'Reilly and Perron? Who's going to the net for Shin and Cairo? We know Shin will do that, but I don't want him to have to be the only one that's going to the net at all times. He's too valuable of a piece, man. If I can get a 6'3", 215-pound left winger that can go in there on the second line with Shin and Cairo, Brandon Saad, for example... And that makes a lot of sense for this team. That's how you get back to that identity. And then the real part of this, how do you get back to rolling four lines? Because as much as we talk about the top six and how they're going to be able to fill these things out, 
the identity of the Blues was depth. Mm -hmm. It was you were able to roll out four lines at any point in time, including when the other team had just scored and you want to put your fourth line out there to send a message. Or on the back end, if you wanted to put your second pair defensemen in, man, they could be a shutdown unit if you need them to. If you could put that third pairing defensively out there, they were going to be big-ass dudes that were going to step in front of the net and prevent the other team from scoring. That is what has to get better. And Clem Costian, we've got a text on him. Maybe he's somebody that can be a part of this, but they've got to find answers. Well, and those answers come from one guys taking that next step. And that was the problem last year. Your guys didn't take the next step. I mean, Sanford was expected to step into a top six role because of the playoff games that he had. And he never did. Sammy Blay was expected to take that next step into a top six player. He never did. You, don't, you just didn't have those guys that stepped up in the way that they did in the cup run when Sunquist and Barbashev jumped into the lineup, when Thomas came into the lineup, when Maroon stepped up his game. You just didn't have that. So, yeah, it starts with some of these younger guys, but it also starts with some of the veterans because you got to hold players accountable. And depth is a bigger issue. If you don't bring Jaden Schwartz back, that's a, that's a big blow because that's a guy who plays a Craig Bruby system. Does he score a lot of goals? No, he's very inconsistent. But if you have a goal scorer playing on a line with him like a Jordan Cairo, that line works, but I'm not going to pay him the price of a goal scorer if he's not scoring goals. Yep. I don't know who's playing with O'Reilly and Perron because nobody worked out on that line. Right now, nobody. Nobody worked out on that line last year. You'd have a couple of games of Barbashev here, a couple of games of Cairo here. Nobody was Sanford effective. Sanford got a chance. Blay got some. I mean, it everyone, was everyone did. Nobody took advantage of that top spot. You're missing something there. I don't know what your third line looks like. If Robert Thomas is my third line center, well, one, he has to play a bigger game. And two, I know everyone wants to put a Clem Costin and a Sammy Blay and a Jordan Cairo with Robert Thomas. That's a defensive liability, though. You got to have guys who are responsible with the puck in their own zone. So if Thomas is my third line center, I don't know who my wingers are. Maybe it's Oscar Sundquist. Maybe yes, it's Sonny Ivan would Barbashev. Be one of them. Well, then who's your fourth line? Because as much as I liked Kyle Clifford at times, he also was very inconsistent at times. I love the idea of J- Dakota Joshua, but can he be an 82 game player for you? If you're taking guys from your fourth line that were so effective and moving them to the third line, well, then somebody needs to step up for the fourth line. That's where the depth play comes in. So as much as we talk about going out there and getting a top left winger and signing and trading for Matthew Kachuk, you're going to have also some responsibilities of signing free agents for a cheaper cost who can fill the third and fourth line and play Barubi's system. Yeah, as of today, if I had to fill things out with their current roster, they don't have a top line left winger or a second line left winger. There's not anybody that fits into that criteria. I don't have a third line left winger in either, in my opinion. I think I would go cost in there. That would be the closest thing that I could find to one. Uh, you guys know who the top line is. O'Reilly, Perron are going to be together there, and then you're going to have Shin and Kairou as of today. And I'm I'm assuming Vladdy is not on the roster. Yeah, that could change. I'm under that assumption too. Um, and then your third line, Costin, Thomas, Sonny would probably be what I would put there. And then your fourth line, as of today, this could change as well. Would be Clifford, Barbashev, and Joshua in some capacity. You could decide who's playing center there, who you want playing wing. But there's I free think agents that's out there go. though that I think can fill the spots better than those guys. I do think Doug Armstrong finally got a good picture of this team because of all of these injuries by saying Sammy Blaine might not be an everyday player for us. Um, Zach Sanford might not be an everyday player for us. I think he got a really good idea of some of these players, and so hopefully that means that either he's going to tell them like, look, you need to be better. 
or we're going to go out there and get some of these free agents because there will be guys who will take less to play on a team that hopefully can make a cup run. So here is something that I wanted to ask you about, Alex, because yesterday I was reading from uh, our dear friend now because he's been putting out some good work so far. Frank Saravalli yeah. of the Daily Faceoff. Won't respond to me, though. <laughs> and maybe he'll be on the show eventually. He put out 10 potential buyout candidates for this NHL offseason. And I wanted to ask you about a few and whether or not you think they could be of interest for the Blues. So I was kind of honing in on defensemen that have a little bit of size and left wingers, because as we know, that's what the Blues could really use. One guy that was towards the top of this list was James Neal, a left winger for the Edmonton Oilers. So he still has two years and about $11 million left on his contract. This would be a buyout. Now, he did have a COVID situation this year, and that kind of ruined his season for him. He finished with about uh, 10 points in 30 games. Did not have a good year for the Oilers. Is he somebody that could be of interest to the Blues if they could get him on a kind of reduced cost? Um, he's 6'3", 215 pounds, so he's got the size that you'd be looking for. Yeah, I mean, he's a little bit slower, but I think he plays a, um, a Maybe heavier he's a game. second or third line. You know, he, he would remind me a lot of a Corey Perry situation, how Corey Perry was signed by the Sounds Dallas Stars great. and dropped on the third and fourth line. My only hesitancy with James Neal is I look at the season that he had in Calgary, and I feel like that's more of a indication of the player he is now because, look... 19 goals with the Edmonton Oilers in the, in the COVID shortened season. That's awesome. But that's with Connor McDavid, the best player in the world. Sure. I look at a Calgary flames team and I say, okay, well that's more of a team that's kind of identical to the blues that has depth and he didn't perform very well. But I also look at the Vegas team who we played with David Perron and say, maybe he can get back to that. So yeah, I might, if it's cheap, I'd, I'd give him a call. Yeah. And he's not a guy that you'd bring in and be like, Oh sweet. We fixed no. our top line. left no, no, winger no, 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 situation. No, no. These are depth guys. Maybe he could be a bottom six type of left winger for you where he fills in Uh Keith Yandel defenseman from the Panthers. Would you have any interest in him? I would. I really would because he's six foot one. I mean, he's a big guy. He, in my opinion, could fill the void of a Carl Gunnarsson. He could be my third line defenseman or in and out of the lineup. The only thing with that is, I don't know if he would want that because he's on an Ironman streak that Florida basically almost ruined for him. He's going to want to play every night, but he's an effective player. If it's cheap, I'd give him a call. Now, this is one that would be interesting to me because we've seen him so often. Um, he, he is somebody that has a lot of money left on his deal, and I think the Minnesota Wild are regretting that right now. Zach Parise. Yes. Would he be of interest to you, Alex? Yes, he would. I, I mean, he really would. I think this is a guy who is suffering from a team that's kind of changing their identity. I think he needs a change of scenery because there were a lot of expectations when he signed that big contract with Minnesota. He was a Minneapolis kid. He was going to his hometown team, and he never lived up to those expectations. He will never be the guy he was in New Jersey. He will never be the guy that he was when he first signed with Minnesota. But I can guarantee you, on a team like St. Louis, he could be a 15-goal scorer for you. Would he fit that second line left winger that they need right now? Second or third line left winger, yes. Uh, Second line might be asking too much because in Minnesota he played the fourth line. I think he could be a third line left winger for you, and I think he could be more effective than what any of these other options would be on your third line. I really wonder what he would get on the open market because he's 37 years old next year. So it, well, he's, he's going to be getting, getting up there. If he gets bought out, he's going to be getting paid $11 million a year from Minnesota. So again, this is a Corey Perry situation. Mm-hmm. You get bought out, you'll go play somewhere for $900,000 as long as you got a shot to win a, a cup. And the last one that I had for you, I was interested in this one. This is not a left winger. This is not a defenseman. It's Ben Bishop who might be bought out. 
Now, Ben Bishop had an injury last year, so he would be coming back. I believe it was a torn meniscus. Ah, the meniscus. And I am curious. I, I think last year going into the season, the Blues had some interest in some goalies that they could bring into a veteran uh, competition for Ville Husso. I don't know if they want to do that or not this year, but if they did, would you be interested in bringing Ben Bishop back to St. Louis? As much as I'd love the story, I wouldn't be. Okay. And I don't think Ben Bishop would either. I mean, Ben Bishop... We all saw him in, in the eighteen nineteen season with Dallas, who nearly won that series for the Dallas Stars against the Blues. I think he's going to want to go somewhere and have a play, chance to play if he's healthy. If he comes here, he's going to be behind Ville Husso. And I know people don't like Ville Husso. You he, think? Yeah, he would. Because Ville Husso's cheap. And Ville Husso is supposed to be a young guy who can be an option for them down the road. Yeah. Ben Bishop's not going to be a third goaltender for you. No, nah, he might be my second. But Ville Husso's not going to be going back to the AHL. He might not be here. No, I don't think so. Whoa, I, think, whoa, I think you're dreaming. Whoa. Did you just try to get rid of my boy Huso? I think you're dreaming. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think you're dreaming. I don't know. Yeah. I think you're dreaming. Maybe Ben Bishop wants to come back, be a hometown hero in St. Louis. Maybe he helps Sorry, you out, get to the postseason. Uh, number two goal. I don't know. He could be of interest to me. Uh, he would not be your starter. He'd be your exclusive backup behind uh, Jordan Bennington. But Ben Bishop would be somebody I would be interested in if he got bought out. Nope. I'll be out on an island yeah, over here. You go enjoy that island. 65780 is the air covered service X on questions and answers next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Hey guys, two things for you. Number one, do you think the Cardinals have at least two gold glovers this year? Then, if the Cardinals turn it on the rest of this week going into the All-Star break, do you think that they would make a play for Trevor Story? Let's start with the first. We'll get to Trevor Story here in a second. Oh, do you think they have Trevor Story. multiple gold glovers on the roster this year? Nolan Arenado's getting Nolan one. Nolan Arenado's getting one. I really wonder if Paul Goldschmidt gets one because, man, he has made some really good plays at first base in terms of scooping some balls. Who won a gold glove at first last year? I should know this. But. Um, I know a Bray you won it for the American League. Freeman? Was it Freeman? Was it Freeman? No, I thought he, he might have won it. I should know this. I will vamp here. Or I, I'll, okay, I'll we'll vamp. Up. I was going to say, <laughs> well, don't just sit there and don't do <laughs> anything. Say, vamp. Um, I, I got to imagine one of Anthony your outfielders. Rizzo. Ugh. That guy sucks. He sucks. I got to imagine one of your outfielders would get a gold glove. The problem is it's just inconsistency in terms of playing time because Bader's been out for a long time. O'Neill's been in and out. I'll say yes, because I think one of your outfielders or Paul Goldschmidt or Yachty gets it. Although Yachty's had a couple of passed balls this season, so yeah. I don't know if he'll find one. I don't know if Yachty gets one. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd say you get two. Anthony Rizzo has won the gold glove in the National League for the last three years running. Cheating. Interesting. Conspiracy theories. Not that good. Um, oh, that was awkward timing. I think Tyler O'Neill's got a shot. If he has the playing time. He's to made do some it. good plays in the outfield. I really do. I, I think he's been great this season. Last year, I didn't think he deserves to win a gold glove. This year, he's been outstanding. So it, I think that would be your second. He'd probably be your closest contender. I really think Goldschmidt's going to be in the running for one this year. He should be. He's been good. Yeah. I think we're only going to see one, and I think it's going to be Arnado. Why do you I, I don't Cardinals? know. I just don't know if Arn, or O'Neal's going to have enough playing time. Same with Bader. Uh, Carlson's been good defensively, but I don't it's know if he'll get over. the consideration. And then Edmonds, kind of the same way. He's been good, but he's been all over the place. He's been better at second. You don't really have a good. You don't have sure. a good defensive shortstop in your starting lineup right now. Gold. I, I Goldie, I think should get consideration. He'll be in the running. I don't think Yadi 
will be there. Someone asked so about I'm just gonna Carlson. Say one. I don't know if Carlson. I, I just don't think he will because he's yeah. been all over the place, right and center. Yeah. So I'm just going to say one. I'm going to say it's Arnato. And then the second one, no. Even if they make a push, they're not going to go get Trevor Story. I'm sure we're going to get questions about it, so I'll just go ahead and address it right now. I do not think that Yadier Molina is going to get a so either. this year. Um, he's had too many pass balls this, this season, which is very uncharacteristic. But he's also been dealing with some trash on the mound for a while. Sure. Yeah, I, I just don't think he's going to be able to get it this year. That's right. I said trash. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service. Sex line. The second part of that question, do right, you guys wrong. think that the Cardinals would make a play for Trevor Story? No. No. I think if you're going to make a play for him, you go in free agency. I'll be optimistic, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's cool. Oh, this guy. Have fun living in your uh, unreal world like you Shut want Ben up. Bishop. You probably want Ben Bishop to play over Jordan Bennington, don't that you? Is, stop it. You hate you Jordan Bennington. I, I think he should play over Ville Husso. Oh, I, I can't believe it. Sorry, this. didn't Ville Husso pick up the only shutout of the season this year? Yeah. He did. Can't confirm. I Problem was, solved. How many shutouts did Ben Bishop have this season? Zero. Goose egg. Or all of them. I guess it could go either way, depending on how you want to look at this. I was nervous every time Ville Husso took, took the net. <laughs> Nervous every time somebody took the net. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the six one eight. Guys, who's ready to talk some fantasy football? Are you excited for this season? And are you getting back into it if you dropped out of leagues last year? I get a mock draft last night for the first Did time you? because August fifteenth, I believe, is our fantasy draft. We all get together, my buddies and I. Did my first mock draft. It was terrible. Nice. It's always weird getting back into the groove of the things first, for fantasy football. The first mock one is always so bad because you just don't have the strategy down. Yeah. No, you got to. You just got to wing it. You just show up. No. Wing it. And you end should. Up with a really you should good join team. my league because I need an easy fifty bucks. That okay. is absolutely not what you should do. No, don't no, listen yeah, to anything no, Tanner no, says. No, wing okay. it. Here's so what, here's Tanner is not our this. fantasy football expert this no. season. Here's why I say this because there was one year where I actually forgot when our draft was, so I I wasn't prepared because it was earlier than what we normally do it. So normally I would spend that time getting oh ready for God. the draft. Wasn't ready. Wing the draft and end up getting to the championship. That so. doesn't matter. That just means every yeah, blind squirrel finds Whoa. a nut once in a while. Look, you can prepare all you want and have the worst fantasy team you ever draft. You know don't how th- I know not to trust out, you with your fantasy don't football throw picks? Out that L word called lucky. You know how I know not to w- trust you with fantasy anything? Because you wear a Baltimore Orioles t-shirt. It's because they develop great pitching and great position players like Jose Rondo. You know what uh, (laughs) surprises me? What's interesting to me about this year's fantasy football in all seriousness. (laughs) Um, Oh, wait, we're answering this question? Yeah. 10 out of the first 12 picks on average right now are running backs. That's so strange to me because I always, I don't even really look at running backs unless I'm selecting top three. I don't look at those until like the third or fourth round. So... It had kind of reversed because for a while it was all running backs early and then you'd get your receivers later on. And then people were like, oh, wide receivers are more reliable. Running backs get hurt all the time. And as you continue on in the season, like if a running back gets hurt, his backup becomes somebody that you can immediately put into your lineup and and get him on the waiver wire. Yeah. And you can get him on the waiver. That doesn't exactly like if Tyreek Hill gets hurt, nobody on the Chiefs just immediately becomes Uh, Tyreek Hill. McCole Hardman is the number one receiver. If Clyde Edwards Alaire goes down, you could pick up Daryl Williams on the waiver wire and he basically gets Clyde Edwards Alaire's workload. So it's easier to replace a running back than it is a receiver. But this year, people 
people are drafting once again as if it's it's all running backs in the first round. The Ooh. only two guys that are non-running backs going in the first round are Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, on average. Who do you think some of the younger wide receivers are that'll go really early this year? Because I think Justin Jefferson is going to be, be a guy who gets picked like third or fourth overall. Yeah, uh, not overall, but he's going right now early third round, it looks like, according to ADP. That's AJ my, Brown is going why, early, and Calvin Ridley is another one going early. That's why my mock draft sucked so bad. I took Justin Jefferson like 12th overall, and oh, I'm like, God. I probably shouldn't have done this. <laughs> Should have winged it. We'll, we'll work together on this. We'll, we'll get you into a better group of hey, things. Hey, I've won the lot, two of the last three years in my league, so. Weird flex. Hey, no, not a weird flex. That's Very like weird. 200 bucks in my pocket. I like it. You need to be playing for bigger money than that. Hey, man. I'm a I'm a dad on a budget. I'm well, a baller yeah, on a budget, man. We'll get yeah. you over on the fantasy uh, sports book app, and you'll be making money like it's nothing. Sounds like a plan. With Alex Ferrari on Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we'll get into a game of more likely to happen. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios. We will tell you which more is more likely. But coming up next, are you guys buying that the Cardinals have another big second half run in them? The Cardinals are trying to sell you on that. We'll tell you if we're buying it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. We know that historically we've we've played better in the second half, and uh, we obviously know that we have those types of offensive performers that can really carry a team. And we know that our offense is definitely going to perform a lot better and, and show what we're capable of in that second half. That was Tommy Edmond yesterday on Bally Sports Midwest. Tommy Edmond will join us coming up at 1.30 to talk with us here on the show. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Are you buying what the Cardinals are selling? Because whether it be Mike Schilt or Adam Wainwright, whoever you listen to right now, they will tell you about the Cardinals' ability to go on a second-half run. And there's some truth to this. Mike Schilt and his time as the Cardinals' manager has had success in the second half of seasons. In 2018, after he took over, the Cardinals went 41-28. and 28. They finished really strong. 2019, in the second half of the season, they went 47-27. and 27. That is one hell of a second half. That's when Jack Flaherty looked like Bob Gibson for a half of the season. 2020, it's kind of hard to say what exactly that was because there was no real second half of any season. So, Alex, is the two years that they've had under Mike Schilt where we have any sort of evidence here... 2018 and 2019, when they went a combined 88 and 55 overall in the second half of the seasons, is that enough to suggest to you that the Cardinals will once again be able to turn this thing around in the second half? Do I believe it? No. Am I intrigued by it? 100% yes. And the reason being is I think when something is implanted in your head and you believe that it's going to happen, it usually turns out that way. And this is a group of guys, especially led by Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, Matt Carpenter. They've been through this ringer before. They've gone through this fire of struggling in the first couple of months of the season, considering that they're out of it. And then they turn it on come June, July, August. And the next thing you know, you're fighting for a playoff spot. If it's in your head, it starts to kind of culminate into that on the field. So yeah, I would, I'm very interested in it. The only reason I'm, I'm hesitant in buying in on this is because of what we saw in the entire month of June. And you had the easy portion of your schedule already. The rest of the season is a lot more difficult with matchups against the Milwaukee Brewers, with matchups against the Cincinnati Reds, the Chicago Cubs, although I know the Cubs are pretty terrible. I'd like to see it happen, but I'm at least perking my ears up to this because they have done it in the past. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm I'm intrigued. I don't know if it's going to happen just because I see so many holes on this team. 
Like I, I look at the bull, to me the bullpen there still needs to be another arm that needs to be added. Uh, I look at the starting rotation and I, even with Jack Flaherty coming back, I just don't know what exactly you're going to get from him. And you've got Wainwright, so there's three starters that I don't have any faith in really. And then I look at the lineup and I say it just feels like a lineup that is inconsistent, too inconsistent for them to be uh, to go on a a second half run. And then I look at the bench and I say the bench is very weak now. They can upgrade some of those at the trade deadline, but I feel like there's just too many holes to be upgraded to the fact of where I can say, you know what, yeah, I feel confident that this team can go on a second-half run and make the playoffs, and they've got a lot of ground to cover. They're nine games back of the Milwaukee Brewers, so they've got a lot of ground to cover to just get back into this race. 17 of the Brewers' last 20 wins have come against the Pirates, the Diamondbacks, the Rockies, and the Pirates. And then you can include the, the Tigers in there as well. They had one win against the Tigers as well. The reason why I bring that up is because I think you're not you guys, but the generic you. If if you're a listener right now, you're a Cardinals fan, your belief in the Cardinals is almost directly attributable to how you feel about the Brewers right now. If you think what the Brewers are doing right now is legit and they are just one of the better teams in baseball, much less in the National League, it's probably going to be difficult for me to sell you on the Cardinals making a second half run because the Brewers are up by what appears to be a borderline insurmountable lead in the National League. Jumping eight and a half games over the course of the second half is going to be tough regardless of who you are. However, if you think that the Brewers are a little bit of a paper tiger and they've been building this lead by just beating up on bad teams and they're going to come back down to earth a bit in the second half, especially when the Cardinals play them 10 times head to head in September well, then you probably think that the Cardinals can be able to make this up pretty easily. And I think I'm somewhere in between. Shocker, I'm kind of on the fence here. Your daily dose of BK and Ferrario (laughs) sitting on the fence, brought to you by whoever's a fence company out there. The Brewers have really good pitching. Their starting staff is legit, and and I don't think we talk about them enough. Uh, Woodruff, Peralta, Burns, they're all fantastic starters for the Brewers, and their bullpen is quite good. Their offense really does not scare me. Even to this day, they're still trying to tinker to get that thing going. They have not had the typical year out of Christian Yelich, whether that because he's just having a down year or because of the injuries. Uh, I mean, Adamas has been great for them, but overall, that offense is not imposing. The Cardinals have the ability to be a more imposing offense, and when they get healthy, to have a similar, although not quite as good, pitching staff as a whole. So can the Cardinals go on a second-half run? Absolutely they can, given the division that they are in. The Brewers are not the Dodgers. They are not the Padres. So there is an opening there. But it's going to take the Cardinals making a couple of moves that end up hitting the way the Adamas trade did for the Brewers. And it's going to take their big guys just playing better in the second half of the season. The reason I'm not buying in and believing is what you said about the Brewers pitching staff. And that's the biggest problem that's why you're for not the, Cardinals. the Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, you got all of these matchup against the Brewers in the second half of the season. And you're going to have to face Woodruff. Burns, Peralta, that bullpen, and your offense has not shown me, at least on a consistent basis, that they can compete with that. Now, these last two games, yeah, making me feel a little bit more warm and fuzzy than what I was when they couldn't score runs against the Pirates. But that's why it's hard for me to believe that they can make a run because they're facing those pitching staffs. And that matchup is going to be disastrous for the Cardinals. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 618. Guys, how have the Cardinals done this year against the Brewers head to head? They're three and three. 
They're three and three straight up against one another. They lost two out of three in the first series of the year against them in that home opener series. And then they uh, won two out of three in the second series against the Brewers. All right. So it's basically even between the two matchups. And that's where we stand right now. I do think there is one move the Cardinals can make in terms of what is already in-house with their current roster that would help them go on a second half run. And it's making a change to shortstop. I think it is officially time to go with Mundo Sosa as your starting shortstop over Paul DeYoung. I do not take any sort of satisfaction in saying this, but Paul DeYoung is having a disastrous season thus far in terms of what he's had production-wise. He does have 10 home runs, which is good, but he's batting 173. His on-base percentage is below 300 right now, and his slugging percentage is below 350 for the second straight season. Last year, I could blame it on COVID, and I would totally understand that if that's your explanation. This year, what's the excuse? He's had some injuries, but at a certain point, you have to be able to produce for me. And I don't know what Edmundo Sosa is going to give you consistently at the plate. I do not think he's a great hitter, but he's better defensively. He brings more energy, and he's better on the base paths. He gives you a little bit more there than what you're getting right now at a Paul DeYoung. So, I would make the move right now. I would insert Edmundo Sosa going into the all-star break as my starting shortstop. I'm with you there as well. I think, unfortunately, I think there's a time where you have to sit here and say our best chance to win is to play this certain player, and that player is Edmundo Sosa. If you look at May 18th to June 4th, that stretch was where Edmundo Sosa was your everyday starting shortstop because of the injury to Paul DeYoung. That was his best baseball. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy was hitting close to 320 at one point in that stretch of games because he was there on an everyday basis. Is he going to be great? No, but he's going to be an upgrade over Paul DeYoung. Is he going to give you power? Maybe here and there, but it's not going to be like Paul DeYoung did. But I can guarantee you one thing, he's going to get on base and he's going to be better defensively for you at shortstop. So yeah, I'm with you. I don't like to say it. I was really hoping Paul DeYoung would be that 35 home run hitter like we saw his first season. But, man, it has just not cooperated with him this season. And maybe if you give him a break from this of gripping the bat too tight and trying to be the savior in the in the batting order, maybe he can turn it around off of the bench. But Edmundo Sosa is my better chance to win right now. Yeah, I think you have to go to Sosa, especially because you're – it may be too early to say you're building momentum with two wins in San Francisco, but it's a series win against the best team in the National League, and Paul DeYoung hasn't been a factor in either game. In fact, he didn't even start the first game of the series – and he won, and then he won last night, and he was 0 for 4. So With three strikeouts. Three strikeouts, too, yeah. So I look at that, and I say, you know what? Let's move you to the bench to see if you can be a bench bat. We have to stay with Edmundo Sosa, and, of course, Tommy Hammond has to be at second base. Yeah, Edmundo Sosa in his last 10 starts uh, is batting two twenty two with a two sixty five on-base percentage. It's not good, but it somehow is better than what you're getting from Paul DeYoung. The other thing is, to your point on what happened last night with DeYoung, He just strikes out so much, man. Mm -hmm. He's not giving you competitive at-bats right now, and I can live with that when his slugging percentage is up there in the 450s where he's hitting doubles and homers and he's slugging the hell out of the ball the way that Tyler O'Neill did earlier this year. But if you're not giving me slugging percentage and you're not giving me on-base percentage, well, then what are you contributing, especially when defensively he just hasn't been the same guy this year? He's there was another play the other night where he was going to I think this was last night. He's going to the second base side and he just kind of boots it. It just didn't look right. So um, I would make that move now. I I don't know that I have any belief that they will make that kind of a move because they still 
have some belief in Paul DeYoung, but it's something that I think they can do to make their team better going into the All-Star break that makes it more likely for them to be able to make a little bit of a run in the second half. Yeah, real quick, I think to make Edmundo Sosa a better player is to give him more consistent at-bats and not make him an every-other-day player because that's going to put him in a little bit of a dry spell also. It's 1217, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us two scenarios, we will tell you which one's more likely. More likely to happen is next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Count that, that big bang. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. You send us a couple of scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. I like this one, boys. More likely to play in St. Louis again for the hometown team. Pat Maroon or Albert Pujols? Oh, God, I thought you were going to say I Ben Bishop. My God, too. can we give up on this? Um, wow. <laughs> I want to say neither because I don't see any it's scenario. how you play the game. Well, you don't, give us, the you don't give us rules for this, you know? We tell Which one's more likely? Oh, okay. Uh, I'll say Pujols. Now, which one's going to happen? It's which one's more likely to happen. Well, more likely would be go to happen, right? No, it's like... Mm, one of them has two percent; the other has a three percent chance game's of happening. Stupid, BK. <laughs> okay. I don't want to play it. Good talk. I would say Albert Pujols. Tough I, but fair. I don't see Pat Maroon coming back because if they were to brought him back, they would have basically just kept going with him after the year they won the cup um, with the DH possibility next season. And if Yachty and Wayno go one last ride, I could see Pujols going one last ride in St. Louis. So I'll say Albert. That's why I'm on the Albert train too. Whoa. I don't know if Maroon will come back either. I, I think it's going to be – I think there's a really good chance that Pujols could be back here in St. Louis next year because I don't think he's going to – your tinfoil on uh, – The rest him, of the season. Yeah, being let go by the Dodgers. Yeah, that ain't happening. I think he's going to be a Dodger the rest of the year. But I, I would not be shocked if Wayno says, all right, I'll come back. This will be my final ride. Yachty goes out with him, and then you bring in Pujols. Forget the baseball side of it. That's just genius yeah. marketing right there. I don't there. even we care get, if they suck the whole season. The, I just want to see that. The three guy, the final three guys that are still playing baseball, I was a part of that 2006 World Series team, all together again for one final ride here That'd in St. Awesome. Louis. It would be yeah, great. Think about that. Like all three of those guys in 2004, right? Because Wayno was here six. in 2000. But Wayno was here in 2004, wasn't he? In the minors? I think six was, or uh, was six he, his first he was year in the minors. St. Louis in the minors, but not in the big leagues. Still within the organization, though, like from 2004 until now, like that would be a pretty cool storyline. It'd be incredible. Uh, I'm going to go Albert Pujols as well. I do not think that there's any chance the Blues bring back Pat Maroon. For better or worse, that doesn't mean that's the right decision, but I don't think he's going to become I don't think there's a chance that Pat Maroon leaves Tampa for the rest of his career. Why would you? I'm staying in Tampa under John Cooper. Keep going for cup runs. I could win four or five of them with that team. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. This one comes from the 314. More likely that Vladimir Tarasenko is traded or taken in the expansion draft. More likely way for Vladimir Tarasenko to be moved this offseason uh, off via trade or the expansion draft. Trades. I don't think there's a chance that he's taken in the expansion draft. I think he could be le- left unprotected, but I don't think Seattle's going to take a shot at that. Now, Ron Francis has come out and said, like, they're going to spend to the salary cap, but that's that's a lot different than what it was when Vegas was an expansion team because it's a cap floor of $81.5 million. Um, and there might be some better players out there than Vladdy. I don't think they protect him. I think they protect Barbashev, unless JR's point, they protect him and then try and trade him. But I think he's going to be traded. I think that's how you end the Vladimir Tarasenko 
era is you trade them and you get something back for them. I think that's how it's going to go too. I think it's more likely likely they trade him. I I'm kind of with you. I could see them unprotecting him, but I I think Seattle's going to go Vince Dunn or another one of the younger forwards. I think they want to stay young. I don't think they want to take on. I've I've heard the comments too of where they say they're going to spend up to the cap, but I I don't think if I if I'm Seattle, I'm looking at a guy that's had three shoulder surgeries and I'm going to bring him in to be my elite goal scorer. I'm not. I'm going to take a shot with someone else. I think this one's pretty easy, actually. I, I think it's clear that it's trade. Yeah, I just don't I, see I don't, a case. I don't see how they end up taking him in the expansion draft. I I think that Vladimir Tarasenko might be moved in the next ten days. Um, and that's that. that's pure speculation. I want to put that out there on the back end of this. Like, I, and this is not me saying I know via source. No, I, I just think if you're looking at the timeline of events here, if the Blues move him within the next 10 days, they do not have to protect him, which is huge for them. And then that means they can protect a guy like Barbashev um, or it's easier to protect Sonny, wh- whatever it is that you want to do in your your forwards side of things. I think they I think that's the way they should go. I also think they should trade Vince Dunn in the next 10 days, because if you're able to move both of those guys prior to the deadline of putting your expansion draft list, the protection list out there, it allows you to do other things. It also allows you to then like the best player you expose might be Marco Scandella. And then maybe Marco Scandella is off of your books before you get into free agency. And now You've moved Vince Dunn for a first-round pick or whatever. You've moved Vladimir Tarasenko for parts. Now you have multiple first-round picks that you can offer in a big trade. You have some more money to play with once you get to free agency. That's something that could be of interest to the Blues. I think they would like to get this stuff done sooner rather than later. I think you're going to see a lot of teams start to do this. So the way this works is as soon as the Stanley Cup is over, 24 hours after that is the buyout period where teams can buy players out. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of guys bought out. And then once the buyout ends, that's when you're going to start seeing some moving and shaking on the trade route to get your, I mean, look, they got till the 17th to have their protected list out. So basically in the next 10 days, you have the decisions to make with your rosters. And Kevin Allen is reporting that the Detroit Red Wings have called about Vince Dunn. So there are teams that are calling about the Blues players. I think it's just a matter of finding out what those teams absolutely want to do. The couple of days leading up to that protected list coming out, that's when I think you're going to see those trades go down. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, if you do trade Tarasenko, don't you have to protect the guy you just got? Yeah, you would. Um, But it might be a package. So maybe it's Vladimir Tarasenko and Zach Sanford for one guy. Um, and then maybe it, it allows you to get a little bit more creative with what you do. Or maybe it's Vladimir Tarasenko and Zach Sanford for a defenseman. And that that's you the way you make it work. Side, yeah, um, there, there's other things that they can do. They or can get could creative. Be, I with mean, honestly, it could be a draft pick that you get back. You could get like a fourth or prospect. Yeah. that doesn't have to be protected. There's a lot of ways that you can go with this to make your team better. If you're Doug Armstrong, six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely, guys. Matthew Liberator starts for the Cardinals at some point before September or Paul Goldschmidt leads the team in home runs at the end of the year. Those are two really different directions. Liberator starts before September in the big leagues or Goldie leads the team in home runs at the end of the season. For Um, what it's worth, Paul Goldschmidt right now has 12 home runs on the season. Nolan Arenado leads the team with 17. Tyler O'Neill is second with 15. God, I just don't see a shot where Paul Goldschmidt leads with home runs, but I really don't see a shot that Matthew Libator ever starts this season for how protected they are against this kid. So I'll go Paul Goldschmidt. 
I think I'm with you there because I, I just can't see a scenario where they would bring up Libertor before September and start him. I think it's a traditional thing for the Cardinals. If you got a young prospect kid that's on the verge of being ready for the major leagues, he comes up in September and he comes out of the pen. That feels more likely than him getting starts. And they've already had their chance to bring him up to start because of all the injuries they've had, and they decided not to do it. So I, I think it's more likely Goldie would lead the team in home runs than as Libertor gets a start. I think I agree with you. Um, he's heating up a little bit. Paul Goldschmidt has played much better baseball of late. So out of these two things, I think it's much more likely that Paul Goldschmidt leads the team in home runs at the end of the season. I just don't see Libertor making starts for this team this year. I mean that, like, whether it be before September or after. I don't think he's going to be an option for them. Last one for you guys. More likely, Nolan Arenado hits 35 home runs this season or Tommy Edmond finishes the year with 35 stolen bases. This is interesting. Tommy Edmond right now is at 16 steals on the season. Nolan Arenado is at 17 home runs. So they're right around the same pace right now. Which one's more likely? Edmond 35 steals, Arenado 35 home runs. I think I'm going to go with Arnado 35 home runs because he's got the power to do it. And I think Edmund has the speed to be a 35 stolen base guy. I just don't know if he gets on base enough to do it. And I get it that he's on pace for it. And the Cardinals don't run a lot either. So I'm, I'm going to say it's more he likely. Does, okay. Yeah, he just doesn't listen to Mike Chilp. He just goes. Yeah, I, I think it's more likely Arnado gets the 35. I, I, I think he can get there. I don't know. Again, I, Edmund just doesn't get on base. Enough for me. I get it. His pace now is there, but I don't know if he'll get to 35 stolen bases. Yeah, I'm going Arenado. I don't see him getting to 35 stolen bases on a Cardinals team. The Cardinals just don't like to run that much. And on top of it, if he's buried in the middle of your batting order, I don't see him That's being a guy who difficult. runs the bases more than a guy if he was a leadoff hitter. So I'll say Arenado. Man, he I didn't even realize he was that high up on the list right now. He is right now tied for fourth with Starling Marte and Ronald Acuna for most stolen bases in the sport this year. Oh, so I Tommy Edmond is the next Ronald Acuna Jr. Is what you're <laughs> That's saying. what I'm trying nice. to say. Right. Uh, I'm going to go Nolan Arenado as well, although I would not be surprised if either both of these things happen this year. I think Tommy Edmond has a pretty darn good chance of getting at least to 30 stolen bases, which means it's not crazy to think that he could get to 35 on the year. So yes, it is. I will go with Nolan Arenado, but it would not surprise me. When was the me last time back. a Cardinals player stole, stole more than 30 bases? Because I got to think it's back to like Willie McGee. I know that Tommy Pham had a really good season. Did, I don't think he was 30, though. I, I thought he was 25. 25. I thought he was a 25-25 guy. Eckstein so. was a speedster. Didn't he get? Did he ever have 30? He I don't might know if have. He ever did. I'll look this up. We'll get into this on the other side. Plus, is this the way that Major League Baseball gets itself back on track? We'll tell you what that could be next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. about Tommy Edmonds quest to get to at least 30 stolen bases this season. And the question was, when was the last time the Cardinals had a 30 plus stolen base guy? And man, it's been basically a generation. The last one to do so was Edgar Renteria in 2003. And this sent Alex Ferrario into a oh. rabbit hole of basically, hey, could you believe that the 2004 Cardinals were good? <laughs> Unpopular opinion right now. 2004 Cardinals roster was the best roster ever. 
I mean, they won 105 games. So, yeah, oh they're, my they're God. pretty, they're pretty even, good. Not even the most so in franchise history. The, which Your is just fact. insane. Well, I'll tell you, it's not really insanity because they just didn't have good enough starting pitching. Like, if they would have just gone out there and gotten one starting pitcher, like Walt Jockety, where were you, man? You got Larry Walker, but go out and get, like, Carlos Zambrano or something oh Woody from Chicago. Yeah, well, that wasn't too great for them. But, like, Ooh, seriously, yeah. you're, you're starting nine with Lankford, Edmonds, and Sanders in the outfield? Oh, my God. Tony Womack? I forgot how great Tony Womack was. This man had 72 stolen bases when he was with the Diamondbacks. Yeah, that team can't hold a candle to the 1942 team that won 106 oh, games. Well, I wasn't alive during that. Oh, in a slaughter, stand the man. I mean, what more could you really ask for from an Scott outfield? Scott Rowland at third base. Bet Albert Pujols at first. Your bench in 2004 was John Mabry, Larry Walker, Yadier Molina, Sotaguchi, Marlon Anderson. Like, tell me that wasn't a great we, team. We didn't need a bench in 42. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about it. Benches might not have been we a thing in 42. We didn't need a bullpen either. Our rotation was good. Mort Cooper that year threw yeah, 280 was. innings with a 170 RA. Mort was the man. I don't know. No, who else no was that's on that unfair. Team. I can't say that about anybody. Mort was awesome. Can't say he was the man. He guys, was 2004 the was I mean, an incredible you, you team. You call Gibson oh, yeah, Gibby, and you shouldn't really do that either. Oh, guys, okay. 2004 Cardinals should have been a World Series champion. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Oh, two thousand four team one hundred. Two thousand five team is the one that one hundred and five. No sir, I can fact check you on that. Two thousand four team one hundred and five. Take that. One hundred. Two thousand four team one hundred five. Two thousand and four was the best. I remember twenty fifteen being a better team. Two thousand and four won one hundred and five games. Uh, yeah. Now we're on the same. Come on, T Bone. Take the All Baltimore right. Orioles. Or Orly. I'm out. Orioles. Nope. I'm uh, out. Now let's get to something that Tanner sent us last night. Too. He was very upset about this, Alex. Who was Tanner? Send me this article from Ken Rosenthal suggesting that Major League Baseball should go to a new roster construction. I thought Um, he was upset because he wanted to put Andrew Miller in the circle of trust. No, he did suggest that as well. Um, This is what Ken Rosenthal had to say in his article yesterday. So one club official suggested that a positive way to address some player concerns in the next CBA would be eliminating the luxury tax and to raise the minimum salary to a more substantial figure. So most players right now, the, the max or minimum salary in Major League Baseball right now is $570,000. This club source told him he would like to see that raised to around $1.5 So your typical rookie-level player, uh, the vet, this is going to be raised under this scenario. He says, under such a system, high-revenue teams could spend freely without fear of penalty, and the salary scale rather would start at a much higher level, which could potentially enable the players to realize additional gains in arbitration and free agency, end quote. So Tanner sent this to us, and he said, I hope this never happens. This would be the worst thing that would ever happen to baseball. That's terrible. I actually think this is a smart idea. Um, I think the biggest thing that baseball needs to do under the next CBA is to implement a salary floor. I think that's their this biggest issue right now. Floor. I understand, but it would come with a floor. Well, you got to have a floor if there's a ceiling. Well, there would be no ceiling in this. Well, if you yeah, if you don't implement Bay. a floor, then nothing else that you do matters. Because right now you have teams across baseball that have a lower salary for their entire team, lower payroll, than what the Cardinals are paying Nolan Arenado. Cleveland. That's a problem. You've got to have teams spending some money to get to whatever that floor would be, whether it be 50, 60, 70 million dollars. They could determine what that number needs to be, and then they could roll it over the course of whatever the 10 year agreement would be. But that's the number one thing that happens. 
I would have no issue with them eliminating the luxury tax whatsoever. But isn't there a possibility of start to get super teams then? Exactly. There's no luxury tax? Start exactly. to get super teams? Yeah. Guys, we already have super teams. Name That's one. already in the one. one. The Dodgers? That's not because they're, of they're them the spending the, the luxury cap. That's because they have grown talent very well. Um, the Dodgers this year are spending like $200 million. Yeah, but they're spending it on guys that were homegrown. It's not like they're going into free agency and throw. I mean, they did for Trevor Bauer, obviously, but. Yeah, I mean, they took on David Price's salary to be able to spend less in a trade for Mookie Betts. That's why they got so little in return for Mookie okay, Betts. But that's, because that's one team out of every other team. Their payroll is $250 million. The Yankees are spending $201 million. The Mets are at 200 The Astros are at 190 I mean, guys, we have super teams. That's already taking place right now. If you get rid of the luxury tax. I think it tax, gets a lot worse, though. I think it gets a lot worse, though. Because know, teams man. are always really and, hesitant if you're the Dodgers to spend that much because of the luxury tax. If you don't have luxury tax, the Dodgers are going to go into the offseason and say, we got Corey Seager, let's go sign somebody he, else. I don't think you're going to. Here's where, I, here's where I see it is. Right now, the Dodgers will say, okay, well, we will spend over this and we'll pay the luxury tax, and they'll continue to do that until things kind of start to spiral out of control. And then yeah. when they start to struggle, what will they do? They'll bring their payroll back down and get below yeah. that tax so they don't have to pay it. It's what they did when they acquired all those guys from the Florida, Crawford, for, yeah, from the Florida Marlins, we Josh see, Beckett. We, we even see teams like the Red Sox, who have been good in the past, who just said, you know what, their ownership says, I'm tired of paying this luxury tax, let's cut salary. We've seen them do that before they tore that down. If you get rid of the luxury the tax, teams like Boston doing, can just spend it. They stunk. Like they were bad. That's why no, they no, got no, rid of those was, players. There was also times, too, in the past where Boston, maybe Boston's not the right example, but there are times in the past where we've seen these big market teams just say, all right, we want to get we want to get below the New York's a good example. This year. They weren't they weren't good. I mean, they were good. They weren't great. And they said, let's get below that luxury tax. If I'm just a mediocre team or I'm a team that spends big like the Dodgers and there's no luxury tax, what am I going to do? I'm just going to say, okay, well, I don't have to pay a tax. I will continue to build up my payroll, see if we can just build through free agency to get a better team. You know what team. these owners do? They make money. You know how they don't make money? By spending $500 million on their rosters. These guys are businessmen. They're not going to start spending $400 million on their payroll because there's no more luxury tax. They still have to spend the $400 million. If they're worried about spending an extra $30 million in any given year because of the luxury tax, I can assure you they're not about to be out here spending $275 million when they otherwise would have been spending two hundred. million. It's just not going to happen. So maybe it is the Dodgers going out here and, sp- and instead of spending two. 50 maybe now they spend 270 but they aren't concerned about the luxury tax anyways because it was set at 210 this year so they're already not only going through it they are blowing by that thing and pretending it doesn't exist the teams that maybe would spend above it and i think the mets are going to do this anyways are the mets the yankees and that's probably about it maybe you have one other team that gets up there but this is already an issue for baseball this is like the nli situation in college sports right now where people are concerned about players getting paid because it was already happening. The thing that's changing now is you're seeing it out in the public. What's different is we know about it. It's not so much about this being a different thing. The super team problem, quote unquote, already exists in baseball. So if you did this and it meant that you get the floor, like that's probably what the give and take would be. If you give getting rid of the luxury tax to be able to implement a floor, that to me is totally worth it. To me, I don't even know if you're going to – I mean, sure, you're going to get teams to spend like Cleveland, Tampa Bay, uh, some of your other small market teams like Oakland. They'll spend to a floor. But if you don't have a uh, 
a cap off. To there's me, there's five no, teams this year spending less than seventy million dollars. Five of them. To me, if you don't cut off, if to me, if you don't cut a hard cap, and I don't think we're ever going to get to this, but to me, if you have a floor, sure, you get these small level teams to pay, but you never will get that great competitive balance that we talk about because we see, and I get it, Tampa Bay doesn't spend and they're good now, but. I want to see if you're going to have a floor, I would rather see whether it be a uh, luxury tax be in place or a hard cap be in place just what because to me it trade? helps the competitive balance. What's the tr- what, you got to trade something. To give something, you got to get it. So what am I getting if I'm an owner by spending more for my lower level teams? Why I, would I give that up for nothing? I, what you trade is we're no longer going to have to pay the luxury tax. I get it. I, I would not like to see it occur. I understand where the owners are coming from, and I understand probably where the players come from because you're raising the minimum there. But they talk about what's their biggest concern is their concern when you listen to the players, too, and they talk about stuff, whether it be playoffs or with the money, too, is competitive balance. Players claim they players have— Players want to get paid. Players want to get paid, but let, I, know, paid. I know players want to get paid, but we've also heard them talk about competitive balance as well. I mean, that was their whole reason for not going with the expanded playoffs was competitive balance and also no, teams sure, don't have to spend— it. Well, players don't want to spend, or sorry, not players. They know teams won't spend as much because there's more teams that get into the playoffs. Well, to me, you don't really, I mean, you solve a couple of teams, but you don't really move everybody to the same level still. This is the problem, in my opinion, that baseball is going to be in because I don't think that's going to benefit anything. I think it's going to be, I think the benefit would be a salary cap in baseball, but that's not going to happen. That's off the table. It's just not going to happen because the players don't trust the owners. It just forces teams to stay in the middle, though. Like, it forces teams to say, we're good. Yeah, they're just never going to do that because they're not going to believe what the baseball revenues are and are not. And they're going to think that the owners are hiding stuff from them, which is fair. There's just distrust on both sides of things. Tanner, to your point on players not signing up for this because they'd be worried about te- like the thing with the playoffs is they were worried about teams not spending what the what the floor makes you do is you are then required to spend. And then if I'm a player, like forget the competitive balance thing for a second If I'm having teams spending more at the bottom and also at the top level, there are teams that no longer have to worry about the luxury tax and maybe they're willing to spend a little bit more. So now I've got teams at the bottom end and the top end that are spending more money and I'm a player and you're telling me that's going to benefit me greatly. Oh, hell yeah. Sign me up. Where's that line? But from a fan perspective, it's going to dissipate the game, in my opinion, because then you're going to get teams like the NHL did that, too, where they had the salary cap floor. And then the Arizona Coyotes, they didn't sign players to make them a better team. They took on contract of guys who were injured and put them on their LTIR and said, oh, we're at the cap floor and we're still a terrible team to start getting top picks. That's what you're going to get teams that will do happening. Like right now, today, you've got the Orioles. Their payroll today is $21 million. The Pirates are at $24 million um, in terms of what's on their active roster right now. This stuff's already happening. It's in plain sight. We watch these teams, and you go into uh, Pittsburgh or Baltimore or Cleveland. Like Some of these teams are terrible right now. So whether it be because of the floor or the seat, whatever you want to talk, this stuff's already taking place. So um, I don't think it would be the the doom of My, baseball. I think this is the stuff that we're concerned about is already happening in 2021. I'm so, not so much the floor because I, I, I know why the players want the floor. I'm not so concerned about the floor and teams spending up to that. My concern is just teams, and I understand what you're saying, where you blow past the luxury tax like it's not even there, but I want something there that can kind of have some restraint on some teams when they get to a point where they say, all right, we need to get below this because I'm tired of paying a luxury tax. With Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Just to put a fine point on where my point is on that, I, the teams aren't going to do that because the owners don't want to spend that kind of money. Like they, Yeah, Tanner. They just don't. Um, the junk drawer is next don't. on 101 ESPN. 
This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. to spend more than 20 years in coaching with the Giants. He's a third-time World Series champion. He's had a few different series that he's had in his career against the Cardinals, I would imagine. Uh, we're going to talk with him coming up here in just about five minutes or so. But right now, let's dive into the junk drawer. And guys, an app that Tanner spends a lot of time on Tinder! is about to oh. open a new restaurant in New York. Tanner's going to open a restaurant? Grinders opening a restaurant. On the right path, Bumble. <laughs> Bumble is opening a restaurant in New York. I feel like this is one of those things that I'm a little confused by because it's basically the same thing as if Tinder did the same thing, right? So Tinder updated the dating site or the dating space, I guess, if you will, by doing everything virtually. That's the whole goal of it, right? You you swipe right, swipe left. That's the kind of thing that you do on Tinder and then you end up meeting whatever. Bumble is now going back to the old-fashioned way of doing things. They're like, hey, the app is one thing. Now we're going to be able to create a cafe, restaurant, wine bar in New York that opens up on July 24th. So are they just like saying, okay, yeah, you got the app and now we've got the restaurant. So they're going to do the vertical integration with everything. What's going on here? They're just owning the whole thing from start to finish I of your dating so process. I am so confused with how dating works now, and it makes me so happy that I am married and I never have to go through this again because dating already sucked when I was in the middle of it. Like, by the time I hit college, I'm like, I'm not even going to try anymore. And then, of course, I ran into my wife. Life was so much easier that way. Tanner, I don't envy you, man, because this this has it's to hard, suck. Man. This has to suck. It's like being a little fish in a great big ocean. <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah, you enjoyed it. That sounded so sad. Yeah, it is sad. And then you live with like old people, and it just expands the ocean. Okay. Wow. I feel like it actually shrinks it a little bit. I was just saying, I think that ocean gets like turns into a pond in your backyard when you do that. Uh, can I bring up one other thing quickly in the junk drawer today? What are you just gonna steal the whole thing? Go for it. No, I don't know. I'm gonna save it for tomorrow. Can we talk about this Kurt Warner movie? Oh, do we have to? called American Underdog. All right, and so it's coming up be, next is yeah. uh, Let's, uh, Ron Wotus. Next up, it's in theaters this December. I had not seen the trailer prior to today. Maybe it had been out previously, no, I think it just but came I, out today. I think it dropped today. Uh, this looks like one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. I Wolf. wanted this to be good, obviously. This, guy, this guy's totally from Casey. The negativity around okay. Kurt oh, Warner. No, he's not because Wolf, I don't even want to go see this. This looks awful. Yeah. Why? I Look, Kurt Warner was a great story, but he should never have been a movie. Well, I mean, his story is absolutely movie-worthy. Yeah, it's not. It's Sorry. I'd say more documentary. It's more documentary. I'd say like a Lifetime original documentary or something. That's what I was getting at. I just don't. I don't see it as a motion picture to where they're blowing. Like, it just, it doesn't look interesting. Like, you know the story of it. Do you really need to go sit through two hours of it? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, like, have you guys know. seen the movie Safety, the the Disney movie about the the kid at Clemson? No, no. It's actually pretty good, and it's kind of similar in terms of the storyline to this. Like, that's what I was hoping this was going to be. The problem is, this looks like a pretty low budget film, um, and it's it's like cringeworthy to watch. 
in terms of what it became. Because I, I hear you guys, what you're saying about the story and it being a better documentary. There's some truth to that for sure. I think it could be into a movie if done correctly. But yeah. boy, oh boy, some of the acting in this looks pretty rough. I'm just, I'm, I have no interest in this. And Kurt Warner has been one of my favorite athletes for a really long time. Still to this day is one of my favorite people to listen to talk football. He's great. I have no interest in going to watch Dennis Quaid play Dick for Meal on television. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Guys, it's a movie produced and marketed to churches. It's a niche movie for a niche market. I, I hear you. I but- get it. Um, but it, I think it is something that could have had a broader impact, a broader audience. Uh, ooh, check out the trailer if you haven't already. 30 it's, for 30. That's a great point. That's what it should have been. That would be great. Yeah, a, a 30 for 30 on him would be outstanding. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I think the Cardinals might be able to build some momentum on what they're doing offensively. We'll talk about All that right. coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Ron Wotus, former Major League shortstop. He spent 20 years with the Giants now. We'll talk to him about some of his favorite stories about the Giants in the Cardinals in the postseason and what it's like to see Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt back in San Francisco. Ron Wotus next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Into a movie if done correctly. But yeah. boy, oh boy, some of the acting in this looks pretty rough. I'm just, I'm, I have no interest in this. And uh, t- Kurt Warner has been one of my favorite athletes for a really long time. Still to this day is one of my favorite people to listen to talk football. He's great. I have no interest in going to watch Dennis Quaid played Dick for Meal on television. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Guys, it's a movie produced and marketed to churches. It's a niche movie for a niche market. I, I hear That's you. Fine, but- I get it. Um, but it, I think it is something that could have had a broader impact, a broader audience. Uh, ooh. Check out the trailer if you haven't already. 30 it's- for 30. That's a great point. That's what it should have been. That would be great. Yeah, a 30 for 30 on him would be outstanding. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I think the Cardinals might be able to build some momentum on what they're doing offensively. We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, Ron Wotus, former Major League shortstop. He spent 20 years with the Giants now. Talk to him about some of his favorite stories about the Giants in the Cardinals in the postseason and what it's like to see Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt back in San Francisco. Ron Wotus next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by a former major leaguer. He was a shortstop with the Pirates, and now he spent more than 20 years coaching with the Giants. He's a three-time World Series champion. He is Ron Wotus joining us here on the show. Ron, we sincerely appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. Good to be with you, BK and Alex. Yeah, great. We're thrilled to have you. So let's start with your team, man. This has been an unbelievable season for us on the outside looking in. I I would imagine it's probably less surprising for you guys inside of the organization. Uh, what's this year been like for you since you kind of taken the league by storm? Well, I think you're you're right in saying we're somewhat of a surprise uh, to the league. And, uh, you know, you can never predict you know, how well you're going to play. You always have high expectations and, and want to play well. But I think we made a lot of changes over last year. We signed a lot more major league players. 
And, um, you know, the whole group is, is bought in and we're, we're playing good baseball. And there was a lot, a lot of games left to go, but we sure like where we're at today. Ron, what was that transition like from a couple of years ago for a long tenured manager like Bruce Bochy to Gabe Kapler taking over for the Giants? Was that an easy transition moving on from Bruce? Well, I think all in all, it was uh, a big transition. I'd put it that way. I think for the players and and the people in the organization, um, we were kind of, uh, even though we used analytics and we used all the latest technology available to us, I think that, uh, you know, you can you consider Boach an old school manager and, uh, you know, the staff would fall into that category as well. Again, as, as we did use some of it, but with the transition to Farhan and Scott and Gabe Kapler, um, it really is a, a 180 flip. In the fact that uh, you know the saber metrics and the, the the analytics has really ruled the day, um, so um, I'm used to transition. I've worked for four managers here in San Francisco, and you know the game is the game of baseball, and we all have something to bring to the table when you're talking about baseball. I think what's really stood out to me this year about your team is, I mean, it's it's the old guard that's really come through. So despite the transition and all of the new school analytics and everything that's kind of working for you guys, it's it's Buster Posey, it's Brandon Belt, it's Brandon Crawford, it's Evan Longoria. Those are the guys that have really kind of raised their games a little bit. What's it been like working with them under this, I, I guess, new philosophy, if you will? How have they taken to all of this? Well, to your point, they're playing extremely well. I think, you know, anytime there's a, a, a big change in guard, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a little bit of a feeling out period. That, you know, things are done different. There's always a little bit of pushback. But, you know, we stayed with the course and, and stayed with the plan that Gabe and Farhan have uh, have brought in, in here. And the guys have responded to it. I think that uh, uh, now that we're a year and a half in, they've adjusted quite well. I think they've all made adjustments um, at the plate uh, that have allowed them to to have the years or get off to the years that, that they're in right now. And uh, so I, I think they take into it well, and you're exactly right. You know, it's the old guys. Um, we said it early in the year, if, if, if our veteran players don't play well, you know, it's going to be very difficult to compete for the division. And uh, to your point, they have played extremely well, especially Brandon Crawford and Posey with the year off and, you know, he's finally healthy. He had a bad hip before that. He was banged up. And even Craw had a little nagging knee. And, and so there's a lot of motivating factors. But I think that, uh, you know, they bought in and everybody's enjoying what we're doing right now. Ron, I got to go back to something that you said about uh, just you working under all of these managers. I mean, you've been in baseball for a long time, and I mean, you've worked under some incredible managers and Dusty Baker and Bruce Bochy. How much did you take away just from your career and your experience just working with those two individuals? Well, you're right. Look, you you know, I, I manage in the minor leagues for eight years as well, and, you know, I've taken, I've taken stuff from everybody. I've I've worked with in in my lifetime, whether it be players or other coaches, like a, a good friend of mine, Joe LaFay, um, was a great coach with me. We worked in the minor leagues. He was a hitting coach here. He did advanced scouting for us. Um, but you learn from everybody. And I, I couldn't be more blessed to have Dusty Baker, you know, Felipe Alou, uh, you know, Bruce Bochy, those three early on in my career um, to really show me uh, a, a lot of things. And, they, you know, a lot of things they showed me was just by the diversity of the three men. They're, you know, they're 
very different in a lot of ways. And now we have Cap uh, as well, who brings different things to the table. So if you're smart, you take from everybody you learn and uh, you make it part of your philosophy. Ron Wotus joining us here on 101 ESPN. He spent more than 20 years with the Giants. He's currently the Giants' third base coach. He's joining us on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Ron, I'm curious. When you guys saw Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt coming back to town after they had been traded away from the National League West, were you like, these guys again? (laughs) Are you kidding me? We have to go up against these guys again? Well, I won't lie to you. I've been extremely happy since they left our division (laughs) because both – both those guys have always had our number. You know, uh, Nolan is, is always killing us. And Goldie, well, it goes back to Tim Lincecum, how he used to hit him and hit the ball out of the ballpark. And, uh, you know, you throw Yadi Molina in there, and those are three uh, outstanding baseball guys. And I always enjoy watching them play. Um, I'm not really enjoying it these first two games because they're killing us again. Uh, but class individual, great players. And uh, hopefully, uh, not hopefully, I'm glad we just have one more game with them. <laughs> Of course, then we see you guys right after the all-star break there in St. Louis. Ron, I I am just curious. I got to go back to the 2010 run that this Giants team that you were a part of. Did it feel like every even year that you guys were going to win a World Series, even after 2014? Well, you know, it it did to some degree because a lot was made of that, right? The fans, the media, everybody. It was like every other year, here we go again. (laughs) And in 16, and in 16, we had an opportunity to do it, and and we ended up falling short. But uh, we, uh, you know, we we had a great run, as you're saying. Now, it's very difficult, honestly, to, to win the way we did. I mean, how can you predict winning three World Series every other year? You know, winning is so fleeting. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's not that easy to do. And, uh, we're just very fortunate. It feels like when you win like that and you win in the playoffs and, and you win world series, everything seems to go your way. And we had our, our fair, uh, luck, uh, our fair share of good fortune. I should say along those runs, things that you shake your head at and go, Oh my goodness, can you believe that happened? <laughs> And uh, that's what happens a lot of times when, when you were able to win the last game you play. Well, especially in 2012 and 2014, when you beat us here in St. Louis, Ron, we didn't appreciate either of those two series. Uh, when you look at it from your perspective, because of course here in St. Louis, we do not remember those years fondly whatsoever. Uh, what was your favorite memories of those series against the St. Louis Cardinals? Is there anything in particular that immediately comes to mind, whether it was a game, a moment against the Cardinals that really stands out to you? Well, I think it was just, you know, the class that the Cardinals were. You know, LaRusse has been a great manager in this game and he's back doing it again and you know, it's like we had to you know, we had to go through Philly. They were they were they were the best at the point in time in ten. Then we had to go through St. Louis. We knew you guys were were a class act and, and always played the game right and were gonna be difficult to beat. And we had to do the same thing with Atlanta when Bobby Cox was down there and that's what really stands out to me. You know, there's certain organizations that have a tradition of winning. They have great managers, and you know you know it's not going to be easy. And when you do beat clubs like that, um, it, it feels special. Now, I, I think Mike Matheny was managing uh, what, what you're referencing, but we've been through St. Louis so many times in the playoffs um, when Tony was over there as well. 
that that's really what comes to mind is, is how special of an organization you guys had and how difficult it is to play you guys in St. Louis. Ron, currently the Giants are in the juggernaut of what feels like the National League divisions right now with also the Dodgers and the Padres. And you just spoke to a little bit ago how difficult it is to win the World Series the way that the Giants did. When you look at the difficulty of this season, especially in the National League, I mean, it just doesn't look like there's a clear-cut favorite coming out of either of these divisions. No, I mean, look, our division, obviously, San Diego is, is very, very good. Um, and so are the Dodgers. You know, they've been there every year. You know, they're the class of the league now, and uh, they're the team to beat. But, you know, San Diego is uh, up and coming. Um, I mean, they got a lot of young, talented players. <clears throat> I expect they'll be right there at the end. And the rest of the league, you know, we don't see that much. This is the first time we're playing you guys, the Cardinals, here. And, shoot, it's July, right? So, um, we haven't played the Mets yet. We haven't seen Atlanta. Um, so there's there's a lot of teams that we're not familiar with yet. Um, but to your point, in our division anyways, you know, it's really a three-team race. Ron, you get to see some of the best young talent in the sport. And if there's anything that's kind of been a theme on the positive side of things, because I think far too often we look at all the negatives that are taking place in baseball. And one of the shining positives this year is the young talent, the stars that have really continued to emerge What's it been like to watch some of the young stars in your division in particular? Of course, Fernando Tatis Jr. is probably the first guy that people think of. Yeah, he's extremely talented. Look, I mean, he can do it all. And uh, it's always it's always fun to see great players play. You know, I mean, even now in my 24th season, um, it's fun to see these guys play. You know, the way they go about their business is a lot different than when I started, right? There's a lot more hoopla. There's a lot more celebrating. That's not necessarily my style, but you learn to adjust and, and embrace it as the game has been evolving. Um, but there, there's good players in this league, and uh, it, it's nice to see MLB trying to market these guys and, and make this sport you know, extremely popular again. I know it's always been popular in St. Louis. I'm sure you guys are still selling out your ballpark. Um, and I, I see the fans all over the game are so excited to be back in a ballpark after this long stint with COVID. Heck, we had the wave going here in San Francisco three <laughs> nights ago. We haven't seen that in 20 years. So uh, people are excited. There's a lot of good young players, and there's a lot of reasons to go to a baseball game. Ron, final question that I've got for you baseball-wise. Who's your favorite player to watch? Like wh- Whether it be nowadays or of yesteryear, who is your favorite baseball player? My favorite baseball player? Well, I, you know... This is kind of interesting, obviously, uh, maybe to some of your listeners. I mean, I grew up in Connecticut, and my favorite player was Carl Yastrzemski, right? Now I have his grandson on our team, so that's, that's kind of special. I wish my dad was alive to see that because, you know, when I was 8, 9, 12, we were, we were, watching, we were watching some Yaz. You know, there's so, there's so many good players over the league, but uh, I've always had the high regards for Derek Jeter. I've always had the high regard for professionals that go about their job um, in a professional manner and get the most out of their ability. And that's what really stands out to me when I see a player that uh, does get the most out of his, uh, out of his ability and plays the game right. That those, those are special players uh, in my mind. Well, Ron, we wish you and the team the best of luck moving forward other than, of course, the series that you're playing against the Cardinals. I hope those don't go quite so well for you. But all the best moving forward this year. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today, and we'll talk with you again soon. Pleasure being with you guys. We'll see you in St. Louis. Thanks, Absolutely. Ron. Same to you. That's Ron Wood is joining us here on 101 ESPN. He has spent more than 20 years coaching with the Giants. He's some, seen some pretty darn good teams, and he's watching a, a heck of a team right now out there in San Francisco, Alex. And 
the Cardinals, the first two games of this series have looked good. Now, I do need to add a disclaimer to this. In the first two games of this series, the Cardinals have not seen Buster Posey. Brandon Belt is currently on the IL. Evan Longoria is currently on the IL. This is not the best version of the Giants that we're watching right now out in San so Francisco. So you're saying the series doesn't matter then? That being said, I can't believe this guy. It is not the pitching, Alex, that has me optimistic about the Cardinals moving forward. It's actually the offense. We'll tell you why coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. These wins right now, they feel like we can we can play with anyone. We can beat anyone. We can. We just need the, the, the mojo and the, a couple of games, like you said, a couple of games like this will get that mojo swinging in the right direction. So we've got a tough game tomorrow and then a very tough series in Chicago. And let's try to win this. Let's try to win these last few games before the All-Star break, get a little good feeling going into the break. That was Adam Wainwright after the game last night. Guys, I'm going to preempt everything that Mike Schilt's going to say later today, because after the game yesterday in the post-game press conference, Katie Wu asked, an, asked a question about the offense. And Mike Schilt said, I've got some numbers for you tomorrow. I think our offense has been quite a bit better. (laughs) And he specifically referenced the talk that they had together on June 24th. Was it it the burdens and the bees? No, different talk. Very different talk. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't even sound. It's getting worse. Your your laugh was getting worse. (laughs) Yeah, it's not good. You've lost it. I haven't heard it for a couple of weeks, so it's hard to do it. So Mike Schilt said, hey. June 24th, we had that conversation with one another, and since then, our offense has been better. So I was curious, what do the numbers look like since then? It has been better. They hitting the ball hard? They are, actually. They're 14th in baseball and hard hit rates since that conversation that they had. And they're middle of the pack in most of the numbers otherwise. 14th in batting average, 19th in slugging percentage. They're second in fly ball rate, so they're keeping the ball off of the ground, which is good. Their line drive rate has actually gone down a little bit, which is not great, but... The Cardinals have improved the offense the way that we all ask them to. It's not good, but it is better. What's and the ball str- not going into the glove rate? Well, that's the on-base percentage, which is 22nd, which is not great, but it's better. They were last in the league prior to this. Now we they're 22nd. Incremental improvements. We've got to celebrate the little things. I will say what we have seen in San Francisco, I know they were no hit for the first six innings against Kevin Gossman, but outside of that. He's really good because he came from? The Orioles. Thank you. Other than that, the offense has looked better. They're putting together consistent at bats. I thought yesterday the offense as a whole looked pretty solid, basically from start to finish in that game. They they were battling up there, in the words of Mike Schilt. So I'm going to give credit where it's due. The thing that gives me hope that the Cardinals can do as Wayno said, which is play better in the second half and kind of get things going off of this stretch, is not the pitching, which has been good now for a couple of weeks. It's actually the offense that gives me that kind of optimism. You know, sometimes that's the difference. You getting those clutch two out knocks against tough pitchers is sometimes that's sometimes the difference in the game. We've been doing that the last couple of days. Huge win, huge win. We needed that win bad. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Didn't call for that, but Didn't that's call for that one. But I guess we're going into it no matter what. <laughs> what isn't that him on offense? Yeah, I wasn't saying anything. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, whatever. Uh, it's just like kind of blew my mind that Tanner's just like quick to the trigger on this one. But anyway, finger man. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I guess I can get on board with this. The problem is still for me, and last night was an anomaly because it was a lot of guys that jumped in to, to support offensively. But before that, like I've told you, it's it's been one guy or it's been two guys. You know, like 
as much as I want to sit here and say that since June 24th that the offensive numbers have gotten better and Mike Schilt has the secret recipe, <laughs> um, was that better? No, not good. much. Not really. It still is a couple of guys. Now, you're starting to get a full roster back. You get Harrison Bader back in the lineup. Maybe if they make the decision to play Edmundo Sosa more, Tyler O'Neill coming back, hopefully more guys can kind of join the hit parade and start creating more offense. But again, you got to see it on a consistent basis. Two games for me doesn't sell me on the fact that it's fixed. Just like the three games against the Diamondbacks didn't sell me that it was fixed. This is progress because the Giants are a much better team and you're doing this offense against two pitchers who are very decent at what they're doing. Not going to say they're great. I want to see them build off of it, though. That's what I really want to see. Like, give me, and I don't know if Kyle Hendricks is going to be pitching for the Chicago Cubs in this series. I would imagine he is. Give me that matchup. Let me see how you do against a bullpen for the Chicago Cubs that were lights out against you. Let me see how you do. Hendricks is slated to go game one. So let me see how you do against that performance before I sit here and say, yeah, I'm starting to believe this June 24th thing. Yeah, listen, the Cardinals don't have a good offense, uh, and and I'm not suggesting that they do. Dang. But you don't have to be great if you continue getting good starting pitching and your relievers continue throwing strikes the way that they have of late. You just got to be average. The problem for the Cardinals against the Pirates and the Tigers and at times against Atlanta and then in Colorado is the offense was atrocious, like really bad. If you can be average middling, that's fine. And if you lose games against Kyle Hendricks, I can live with that. Hendricks is a a really good pitcher. If you end up getting no hit for six innings but are able to get to the bullpen against Kevin Gossman, okay, I can live with that. The problem is when you make some of the Colorado Rockies like less than great starters look like Cy Young. That's where I've got the issues. So, for example, today you're going up against Alex Wood. He is a lefty. This is a game that you should be good in. You've got a right-hand heavy lineup. You've got a lot of guys that struggle more against righties than they do against lefties. Alex Wood is having an objectively solid season. He's not a guy that should go out there and dominate you, though. So the offense should look pretty solid today against Alex Wood. This is the type of pitcher that I'm curious to see what they look like against I want to see them go out there and win this one to show that what they're doing is sustainable, that it's more than just another spurt of offense, because we've seen this before where they have a couple of games here, a couple of games there where it looks good. And then suddenly it goes back to being a dumpster fire two days later. So I'm hopeful that we're able to see that. But if there's anything that gives me optimism moving forward, it's not the starting pitching. It's not the bullpen. Those things, they're solid. The problem for this team has been the offense, and it does look like it's starting to pick back up again. So hopefully that continues to sustain itself. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, let's ask Tommy Edmond about this. What is he seeing with the offensive approach that has changed for the Cardinals? He'll join us next on behalf of Big League Impact. Excited to talk to the Cardinals second baseman and outfielder on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The 0-1. Fly ball. Deep left. Carlson. He got it! Dylan Carlson with the catch. Crashing up against the wall and saving the game. The Cardinals win it! That was a big one last night as the Cardinals have won two straight in San Francisco. And right now we're talking to the Cardinals' second baseman and outfielder. He is Tommy Edmond joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Tommy, thanks so much for hopping on with us today, man. How big was that win last night for you guys out in San Fran? 
Hey, what's up, guys? Glad to be on. And yeah, that was that was a huge win, a, a high intensity game for sure. And um, I mean, obviously, to to take the series from the Giants, who are at, uh, I mean, I think they have one of, if not the best record in baseball. I mean, it kind of just helps our confidence and shows us that obviously we're we're uh, able to compete and, and beat the best teams. So. Um, just being able to finish that game off with uh, Dylan's catch against the wall was pretty incredible yesterday. How pumped up were you after Dylan Carlson makes that catch, though? Because we saw a similar catch against the Dodgers earlier in the season, Tommy, when Tyler O'Neill makes it at the wall. And, of course, Harrison Bader's right there as the hype man. When that energy's up, man, it's hard to f- or hard not to feed off of it, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a little bit of deja vu with uh, yeah that catch that Tyler made at, um, at Dodger Stadium about a month ago. But... Yeah, those are just kind of the moments that kind of uh, spark something in the team, and and hopefully that can kind of lead us to going on a little bit of a run here. You let us right into our next question. Obviously, June, not a great month for the Cardinals. What was the mindset like inside of the clubhouse as you guys were going through that? Because, I mean, you, you know what it's like. You've been through this before, but what was that month like as you guys were going through that dry spell offensively? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a little bit of frustration in the clubhouse. Um, just, I mean, I mean, all of us, no one in the clubhouse was really um, performing to the ability that that we know we're capable of, um, and that's kind of something that we we started to talk about as we kind of got to the end of uh, towards the end of the month was um, we know that that no one's happy with the way that they're playing really, but you can't let that affect how we go about our our day to day our day to day work and obviously knowing that each day is a new day and we got a lot of games ahead of us and a lot of time to go on a run. And, um, historically, I mean, we've, we've played very well in the second half, so we know that we're capable of going on that type of run, kind of like we did in 2019. Is that one of those things, Tommy, where it's just in the back of your mind though, that you know that this team has been a good second half team. And when you sit there, when you believe that the second half is going to turn around, it usually turns out that way because like you just mentioned the last two years under Mike Schilt, it's been competing for a playoff spot down to the final game of the season. Yeah, I mean, we we got a group of guys that have um, have gone through that the past couple of years, um, where we haven't necessarily been in, in the greatest position halfway through the season, and then just caught fire. So it's kind of it almost we were talking about it yesterday. It's almost like each game from now on is um, is almost like a playoff type feel because every game is more of like a must win type game, and. Um, so which is kind of a good thing because by the time we get to playoffs and we're kind of used to playing in that environment, you know, Tommy, every, every game of a season matters. Like I, you never want to discount something, but especially in baseball, like there are those dog days of the season, especially June, the month you guys just went through. If you get that mindset in July of, you know, it's not fun to be down 10 games, but if every game feels like a playoff game, does that benefit a team? Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. I think it's, I mean, we kind of know that it's it's really time to get going. You know, we got to we got to start winning a lot more games if we want uh, want a chance to get into the postseason. So um, this is really really the time where we really need to kick things into gear. Um, and and we know that we're perfectly capable of doing that given the t- the talent that we have on our roster. Tommy Edmond, Cardinal second baseman and outfielder, joining us right now. He's joining us on behalf of Big League Impact. You can join Adam Wainwright, Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, Miles Michaelis, and their Cardinals teammates to help those in need. Every all-win donor that gives a minimum of $1 per Cardinals team win uh, will be receiving a special edition hashtag all-win St. Louis t-shirt. For more information on this, you can go to bigleagueimpact.org backslash all-win. That's big 
bigleagueimpacts.org backslash all win. I want to learn more about Tommy Edmonds involved in this or involvement in this here in just a minute. But Tommy, I mentioned your Cardinals outfielder and second baseman. What's it been like this year? I mean, it feels like every time you finally get to kind of settle in at second base, there's another injury in the outfield and you're having to kick back out there. What's that been like for you this year to kind of go back and forth between second and right field? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of something I've I've grown a little bit accustomed to, um, just knowing that I'll be moving back and forth um, throughout the course of the season. Um, and it's just something that I I just have to make sure I'm getting in my uh, my pregame prep work in, especially in San Francisco. I don't know, I don't know if you guys could tell on the broadcast, but the uh, the wind was. It looked insane, Tommy. Those those flags were insanity watching at the beginning of the game. Yeah, it was. That's a tough place to uh, to play outfield and catch pop ups, as as you probably saw um, during the game yesterday. But um, I mean, at a place like that, it's especially important to go out there pregame and kind of just get used to the way that the wind's going. But um, I mean, it's it's tough to get used to because it's it's changing directions every two minutes, you know. So you just got to make sure you're you're constantly looking up at the flags, tossing some grass in the air and just doing whatever you can to try to predict which way the, the ball is going to blow. How much of a mental adjustment is that in season as much as it is a physical adjustment, Tommy? Because I remember you talking in spring training about how, you know, you were looking forward to maybe just settling in and taking one glove to the ballpark rather than having multiple ones. Uh, so I would imagine mental side of this is just as much as it is physical, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's I, it's kind of just mentally preparing myself for for uh, where I'll be needed during the day, and um, oftentimes that actually means playing both. If I if I start a game in the outfield, there's a good chance I'll end up in the infield at at some point later in the day. Um, so, I mean, I I definitely am still taking the the two gloves out to the dugout each game. I I the only one I've I've kind of thrown off to the side a little bit is the third base one just because I feel like no one takes most of the reps over there. <laughs> I feel like he's doing pretty well over there. That's That's been all right for you guys. I, I did want to ask you, Tommy, we've talked so much about the offense, and I'm sure you're getting sick of answering questions about it at this point, but I, I, it's kind of an obligatory question that I have to ask. It seems like the approaches have been much better over the last week or two for you guys. Do you feel like things are starting to click offensively for you? And if so, is there anything that fans can be watching during the game that will show us like, hey, okay, they're kind of locked in here and this is starting to get turned around for them offensively? Um, Yeah, I think, I mean, I think on TV, it's, it's definitely easy to see. I mean, uh, if we're swinging at pitches in the zone or not, you know, I mean, it's kind of, you got to find that fine line of, of not chasing the pitches, chasing the pitcher around the zone while also not being too passive in the zone. Um, so I think that's, I mean, that's the, the big, uh, I think that's the big thing for us is just making sure we're swinging at the right pitches and, and getting some good swings off. Um, there are definitely times where we'll get too passive and kind of let some, um, some good pitches to hit go by. And then other times where we'll, we'll get too aggressive and kind of chase a guy around the zone. So, um, that's definitely something to that is a pretty good indication of how our offense is doing is is just the types of swings we're taking in the zone. Tommy, you mentioned Nolan Arenado. I'm curious, what has it been like having his presence in the clubhouse every day this season? Sorry, you cut off for a second. You say Nolan? Yeah, what's it like having his presence in the clubhouse every day this year? Oh, I mean, it's he's an unbelievable presence. I mean, he. Uh, He's he's probably the hardest working guy on the team, and I think for for all of us to see that, to see him him being that elite player and and the perennial all star that he is, and and still be working on his craft so hard each each and every day is um, 
obviously rubs off on, on everybody else. You know, everybody wants to be working just as hard as he is to, to get to his level. So um, I think he definitely elevates the, um, the level that pretty much everyone around him. As a former third baseman, watching him play that position, Tommy, do you just sit there and kind of drop your jaw every once in a while? Like, Nolan, what the hell, man? How is that even possible? Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing what he does. I mean, he he makes a highlight reel play pretty much every single game. And um, just the consistency with which he does it, you know, like you'll see a third baseman make a great play every now and then. But, I mean, every single great play, every time he gets a chance to make a great play, he, it seems like he makes it. So, it's just it's unreal to watch and and to see it uh, to see it day in and day out. Tommy Edmund is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You can check him out with Big League Impact to make a pledge for each Cardinals victory. You can do so at bigleagueimpact.org backslash all win. Tommy, last baseball thing that I wanted to ask you about, what is your plans for the All-Star break? Do you do you have plans where you're, you're going home, you're going on vacation? What, what are you planning to do uh, here over the next week or so as you guys are on the break? Yeah, we, uh, we, my wife and I actually planned a little, uh, little beach vacation. We're going, uh, uh, going to a little beach spot for a couple of days and then, and then heading back to, uh, St. Louis on, I think Wednesday and, um, just going to enjoy our time and, and take some time off and a little mental reset and, and get ready to roll for the second half. It's good to hear, especially with a beach day coming in to, to get yeah. away with your wife. There's nothing wrong with that. Hey, Tommy, tell us about yeah. your involvement with this big league impact. From what I understand, you're supporting the St. Louis Public Schools Foundation, which is an awesome cause. Why would you choose the St. Louis Public Schools Foundation, and how would you get involved so heavily with the big league impact? Yeah, that's. I mean, Big League Impact is an unbelievable organization, and um, we started getting involved back in twenty. It was either end of twenty nineteen or beginning of twenty twenty, and um, we started to talk to Wayno a little bit about it. And um, my wife and I decided we wanted to get involved. Um, and and he told us he he asked us what uh, what are some causes that we're passionate about. And um, one of the first things that came to our mind was um, the fact that we both have have been pretty involved in education in the past. So. Um, my wife was a, a kindergarten teacher, uh, for a couple of years. And, uh, my dad has been a teacher for about 20, 25 years now as well. Um, and, uh, I actually did some, uh, some substitute teaching during an off season one year really? when I was in the minors. I did. Yeah. Just, just a couple of days, but, um, nothing too crazy. And then, and then my brother-in-law is actually a teacher in the, uh, public school di- or St. Louis public school district as well. So, um, we definitely have a lot of a lot of background into that. Um, we, we feel that education is something that's um, something that's obviously very important and that is oftentimes underfunded. So we got in touch with the, the uh, St. Louis Public School Foundation board and and uh, kind of started our involvement last year. Tommy, I just I got to know now how was substitute teaching for you because I know how I was back in high school and we always gave the substitute teachers a hard time. Yeah, I got to have follow up questions on this. What subject and how old yeah. were they? And were you wearing a tie? <laughs> no, no tie. That's I good. Was, uh, I think I was just wearing a normal button down, but that uh, wasn't too bad. I was for the most part, I was pretty much just handing out worksheets and making sure the students were working and. Um, not uh, not messing around too much. So they the teachers made it pretty easy on me, and I didn't have to do too much. What subject in year did you go with? Um, this was back in let me think, might have been seventeen, eighteen off season. 
Um, I think I did a, a chemistry or the math. There was a um, might have been the physics. Um, a couple more, maybe an English class. That's I think amazing. I led a, I led awesome. a discussion. I didn't. The one thing I did do is there was a discussion of like a Shakespeare that I was. I kind of had some prompts for. <laughs> I was, was about fun. to say, was that over your head <laughs> yeah. at all? That's already over my head, Tommy. Yeah, no, I don't know. I just, I just did some popcorn reading with the students, so that's good. Made it easy. That's good. Real quick, Tommy, how can people help with this cause and make sure that they're supporting the public schools with you guys? Yeah, so you can just go on the on bigleagueimpact.org and um, and click on the links to uh, to donate. And um, I mean, there's the public school foundation is doing some awesome things this year. Um, last year was mostly mostly in, um, involved with. Uh, uh, the responsiveness to COVID-19 and everything. Um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, funds went towards the mental health services, um, especially, which is especially important during the COVID times. And, um, it also helps support, uh, college prep, um, some standardized testing prep and, and college counselors all around the district. And, um, I mean, there's, there's some great opportunities, uh, to get involved and to donate. So, if you're interested, you can go on the go on the Big League Impact uh, website, and it, it should be pretty easy to, uh, to follow the links. Tommy, we'll get you out of here on this. There's a lot of St. Louis Cardinals fans that are listening to you right now. If you could send a message to the fan base, send a message about what this second half could bring for the Cardinals. What would you say to any of the Cardinals fans that are listening right now? Yeah, I mean we're we're super pumped up for the second half, and uh, we're excited for you guys to keep showing out and. Uh, uh, getting the energy going at Bush Stadium, so um, we're excited to see you guys out there and, and have some uh, full capacity crowds and ready to get the stadium bumping. Well, tell me, our guy T Bone is uh, the captain of the Woo Club at Bush Stadium, yeah, so make woo. sure we're going to hear a lot of those woos in the second <laughs> half, buddy. We're going to try to get rid of as many Love of those that. as possible. <laughs> Tommy, thanks so much for hopping on with us today, man. All the best. Of course, thanks, guys. Great see you, talking to you as always. Absolutely, enjoy your vacation as well. It's Tommy Edmond joining us here on 101 ESPN Cardinal second baseman outfielder. He joined us on behalf of Big League Impact again. If you want to make a pledge for each Cardinals victory, he's got an awesome cause that he's helping to support, and they've got multiple. It's not just Tommy Edmond; it's also Paul Goldschmidt, it's Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright. You've heard a lot about Wayno's Foundation as well. Uh, he at Tommy Edmond is supporting the St. Louis Public Schools Foundation. So how you help? Go to Big bigleagueimpact.org backslash all win. That's bigleagueimpact.org backslash all win. If you want to just Google it, you'll find it over there as well. Big League Impact is the place where you want to go to uh, find that. It's awesome that all of these Cardinals players are getting involved with this. Pretty cool. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll cross things over the fast lane to finish things up next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. today's show be sure to check out the podcast page still presented by i promise if you missed tommy Edmonds' interview with us he was great talked about how at one point while he was down in the minor leagues he was a substitute teacher because of course tommy Edmonds was a substitute gotta get that teacher. side job check out the full podcast all presented by i promise crossing things over bt in studio bt what's good man how you doing uh, well I'm, I'm rethinking i'm doing well i'm rethinking uh, all of my jobs i had in the offseason maybe substitute teacher would have been good what now, were your jobs i don't know if i was qualified 
qualified enough for that. Uh, I worked in a lot of storerooms, uh, <laughs> stocking shelves, you know, stuff like that. More of the manual labor as opposed to flexing my brain during the offseason. This was while you were uh, in, the in the minors? minor leagues, yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Do most of the guys have off-season jobs while they're down in the minors? Not I mean, the non-bonus babies? Yeah, I mean, unless you come from money, you know, you got to do something to be able to make ends meet. Playing minor league baseball is not as lucrative and, and uh, like, uh, as glamorous as many expect. Now, it is for your first-rounders who you like to befriend one or two of those <laughs> sure. guys because they probably have an escalate <laughs> at whatever city you're playing in. That's always nice to have. But, like, most of the guys are kind of scraping it together trying to figure it out. So, yeah, off-season jobs are a part of it. Uh, and Tommy Edmond, why not continue to flex that brain muscle of his? You know, he, he's a smart dude anyhow. Mm-hmm. he's got, We were talking about in the break. He's going to be in a front office when yeah. his career is, is all said and done, if that's the path that he chooses. I could just see him having future GM written all over him. Um, but, yeah, no, did not uh, did not do the substitute teacher route. Maybe next. Uh, actually, I don't even think I'm qualified currently to be a substitute teacher. Uh, anybody, I, I, definitely not. I tried it, and it's it's not good. Don't good. you have to get certified or something to do that? I would hope so. Well, for high school, for well, I think you do no matter what. Like I did it in college because I was going for my gotcha. masters, and I was kind of like a whatever they called in college a substitute, but it was a bad idea. So I think a in TA? high yeah, no, wasn't that okay. because I was by myself, and that was a very bad decision. High school, I think you got to have a lot more certifications I, I think you for have that. To take a test and pass, if I'm not mistaken. I well, thought this there was goes some to show you that we should never do it. I think you have to have an associate's too. I think that checks out. BT, what's coming up today on the fast lane, man? Man, all kinds of good stuff. Look, we are uh, we're going to tell you how the Cardinals are cured. I okay, mean, they are good Love to it. go. We did we're the same also, thing. Uh, we are also going to uh, you know trade a beloved Cardinal. It's going to be a fun day. Prospects? No. I'm nope. looking forward to finding out exactly who that is. So earlier today, we talked a little bit about Love D. Strange Gordon as a potential fit for the Cardinals. He has just signed a deal with, with the Pittsburgh Card- Pirates oh. on a minor league deal. He's going to report to their AAA affiliate. He'll get so, to play. Uh, D. Go- D. Strange Gordon has now been with four of the five NL Central teams, Cincinnati, Milwaukee, Chicago, and Pittsburgh. So the last one is going to be in St. Louis later eventually. For St. Louis. I don't That's think strange. We need D. Strange Gordon. Why not? He can't hit. We need somebody who can hit. Neither can Paul DeYoung. BT will tell you who can hit. <laughs> Coming up from 2 to 6, we'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. It's like being a little fish in a great big ocean. <laughs> Is that how it works? Yeah. You enjoyed sounds, it? That sounded Very so difficult. sad. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. With Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more. Ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies. Dishwashers with smart tech to clean everything from bakeware to festive mugs. And high-capacity refrigerators to keep leftovers fresh. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select GE kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through November 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details.